0: It actually harkens back to something that is is probably one of the most batshit, just. (laughs) Ah, ah, That's a Nick pun right there. One
1: of of the the most
0: batshit insane.
1: (laughs) 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 Double points. Just came up on Netflix. Of course, I rented it on Amazon a week before. And now you go on Netflix. Fucking Netflix. Exactly. (laughs) I was like, Rashomon. Thank you for that.
2: Fucking cool runnings? What's going on no, over there? No, that's Pokemon. Oh, the it Pokemon sounded Jamaican to me. Not. Sorry. Well, that's racist, <laughs> but awful. I thought that Captain Fantastic was awful, and... <laughs> I just really quickly wanted to say that, but I don't really That's want to fine. talk
1: about it because I thought it was stupid. She made the Aeon Flux movie. Oh, start, right. uh, yes! Uh, like, physical fun. pain for two. seconds. Can shows. I tell
0: you about Aeon Flux? No, no. <laughs> okay, Aeon Flux is is probably one of those shows. <laughs> He's still I don't give a
2: fuck. Wikipedia. How shut up. How often
0: do I get to talk about Aeon fucking Flux? Okay, <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. like a
3: second away from turning off his microphone. <laughs> Aeon Flux.
2: I'm gonna get a bear.
3: Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the Akira Kurosawa classic, which is 1950s Rashomon. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, FilmTankShow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hey there again, everybody, and welcome into episode 74 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, along with the regulars, Nick Cheney and Toussaint Egan. What is up? That was like fresh Prince level. Yeah, I'm gonna get your Carlton Dents. Yo, this is
2: a story with multiple perspectives.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that is Nick Cheney and What's up? Uh, and uh, Brian Turnbull has 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 decided to grace us with his presence. No, thank you, you so here. much, Hi Brian. Oh no, thank you yeah, for being wow. here. We we've enjoyed the past two episodes that have. Now, well, longer not, than the Godfather <laughs> trilogy, so... I have to point out, <laughs>
2: no, Brian's not actually here. We have a medium, and Brian is speaking uh, yes. through the medium. <laughs> oh, God. It's <laughs> a little cinema humor for you. Yeah.
3: yeah, and another thing is, too, is there was no other uh, lawyer trying to dispute the use of it. So, it was totally acceptable. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, whatever. Uh, we are talking about the Kurosawa film Rashomon. Rashomon! <laughs> okay. Thank you for that you fucking cool runnings. What's going on no, over there? No, that's Pokemon. <laughs> oh, the it Pokemon sounded Jamaican to me. Not. Sorry. Well, that's racist, but... <laughs> uh-huh.
2: Thanks, Thanks uh, for that. He can't nice be in initiative. Asian culture.
0: I really like Rashomon.
3: <laughs> okay, good. Well, we'll find out more about your thoughts on Rashomon and everyone <laughs> mm-hmm. else's coming up uh, shortly. First, though, a week in review, I think, uh, is in order. And who wants to go first?
2: I can go first. Nick yeah, apparently right. wants I, to go first. I, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I only throw my hat nice. in the ring because that, it's, it's pretty... not that
3: hard to get picked on this <laughs> podcast. So go right. ahead, Nick. I'm going to do this pretty quick. Are uh, you? I-, I got four That's movies to said. talk about. Sorry. 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 Wait, what did you it was, say? It was a sex joke. I so said that. I'm going to do this oh. pretty quick. and then That's funny.
0: Go on, Nick.
4: <laughs> <laughs> okay so I watched
2: the um uh I watched the movie Captain Fantastic which was
4: oh, okay. at the
2: Sundance Film Festival when we were there but we didn't see it. I would say
3: that was um in terms of films at the festival that was the pre-festival odds-on favorite for people saying it was going
2: to be the best film. Yeah, it Definitely, just even from the description and the sole picture they chose for the catalog, it looked like the sundance movie of the festival. Mm-hmm. And I have to admit, I almost made us see it, so to speak, as far as I almost put it as a very high-ranking movie when mm-hmm. we were first deliberating... Whatever that word is, de- de- deliberating, deliberating, deliberating. Yeah, because I love uh, Matthew Ross's first film called Twenty Eight Hotel Rooms. But for some reason, oh, I... that's right, he did that because it was
3: it was right. difficult because um, there was a Frank Matt Ross. And Frank and Lola was directed by Matt Ross. Yes. And
2: luckily, I thought that the movie you chose as Frank and Lola or not you chose but we both but you really wanted to see I thought that that was the Matthew Ross that I was familiar with but really it was Matt Ross so I went with your thing instead as far as which one I wanted to see more Uh, and that was good news because I thought that (laughs) Captain Fantastic was awful and indulge in everything that Matthew Ross's debut didn't indulge in, and uh, I really don't have that much to say about Did, it. I just want to, like, uh, literally just I'll warn just people it. not to go see All it. All I can mm. say
3: is when I saw the trailer, and I, not that I, trailer, I definitely thought
2: that, like, I, I get,
3: like, a Zach, a Zach Braff vibe. And I'm
2: with you, but even the yeah. trailer doesn't conceal the last 20 minutes, which doesn't take any crazy twist but just pummel this movie into the ground Hmm. uh, unnecessarily. Uh, I just thought it was awful, and I just really quickly wanted to say that, but I don't really want to talk about it because I thought it was stupid. Moving on, I watched my first film by... uh, Italian filmmaker, uh, <laughs> what uh, Pier Paolo Pasolini, uh, oh. who made uh, *Salò*, the infamous oh, movie. Oh, yeah! Uh, but I watched a different movie because I'm getting ready to watch *Salò*. Warming up. Yep. Nice. So I watched *The Decameron*, which is hmm. the um, the first entry in his trilogy of life, which is based off the uh, uh, God. It's I think the Italian writer. Boccaccio? Like, it's uh, it's based off of a an anthology um, text where it's just a bunch of uh, silly short stories, most of them kind of bawdy and uh, raunchy and whatnot. Um, in fact, the other entries in his Trilogy of Life is the second one is the Canterbury Tales, and the third one is the oh. 1001 uh, Arabian Nights. Uh, oh. t- yeah. Uh, but the first one was the Decameron, which is an Italian uh, author from back, I think, in the 14th century. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so he adapts it, and this film came out in the 70s, and it has Pasolini's pushant for just re- not, yeah, it's a realistic depiction of sex and nudity, where like it was basically, to put it lightly, in the 70s when this movie came out, uh, Pasolini was faced with over a hundred lawsuits. <laughs> Uh, like that 's how controversial this film was, what how he would do with twitter yeah i 'm not mm. saying that this movie how about no yeah. i 'm not saying that this movie necessarily holds up as being sexually controversial, although there is certain uh there are up close shots of erect uh male members oh. and other things that American western audiences are certainly mm-hmm. not Can't used, handle no no not not able to see in uh but um they're really i mean there I think there was nine stories in this one, and they're all they're they're very slight. Uh, they're basically just one-note jokes. Um, like, the first one is all about a a man who's tricked into thinking that a woman he wants to have sex with is his sister, so therefore he then stops trying to have sex with her, but then ends up falling into a shitter, <laughs> and, like, literally into the outhouse uh, pool of shit. It's um, so a cousin Eddie? Pretty much, (laughs) yeah. He (laughs) was kind of the Italian counterpart, and um, and and getting robbed blind, but then becoming rich in a scheme. After like it's just all these. Weird but funny, scatological humor, mm. gross out humor, and, and what? what year was this? I, I didn't I, didn't I catch think that. it was 1974. Let me just double check that one second here. 19, oh, no, 1971. So it was okay. even earlier than I thought. Uh, but it was one of those movies that I never stopped enjoying. And I think the anthology part of it, the fact that there were nine stories, what actually kept me enjoying because not that. I, any one story was particularly great, although there, I certainly had my favorites, but because it was able to quickly move on from one to another... now
3: here, There are yeah. my two questions there. Please. Now, are they one at a time or do they kind of skip around? And number it's two... One at a time. And do they go in a linear order, or is there no matter of what the order
2: is? Here, here's what I'll say. It's one at a time, uh-huh. uh, but there is a framework to them, okay. because there is a person that kind of somewhat walks through all their stories. Hmm. But is no consequence, and it's played by the director, actually. He plays a painter, uh, a real-life painter, actually, but playing the character of... So
3: you have, you have the director walking through the... the, And he's the through-line? Kind, kind of, sounds because like, it sounds a little bit like Nicholas Winding reference to me, a little bit. No, like, no, he... It, no, it, it, it's
2: it, not like that? No, no, it okay. kind of is like that. Oh, like, okay. it, It's somewhat pretentious, but I, I feel like it's not when... He's just telling stories about uh, a guy who pretends to be a mute in a nun coven- a covenant because um, all the nuns are horny and just want to have sex with a man that they know that can't speak out to the society to say that mm. they had sex with him. You know, I mean, these stories are both of no consequence and yet are so sexually progressive and liberal, even by 2016 standards. Uh, that So they... you, you're making him sound more
3: like Rod Sterling than in that kind of. No, way. it's
2: definitely more like that. As okay. far as like okay. he wanders in and out, but he's a character. He's not just okay. a person that stands there, so to cool. speak. I'm just trying to get a oh, yeah. gauge of what that, it is. That's what it looks like. Okay. Um, and, um, yeah, I just I had a lot of fun with it. And uh, I actually recommend it because of the fact that I think Pasolini might get a, not bad name, but a, a apprehensive name because of the fact that he directed Solo. And, and while I won't say everybody should watch Solo, his other films take that same shocking nature. But... Like as we see in this trilogy, I'm sure because I've heard about the other two and I'm gonna I'm gonna watch them, but this time does it to a lot more fun effect and I would say a lot more progressive and just kind of celebratory effect. So I, I was a big fan of uh, the the Cameron is the uh, 1971 film. <laughs> the only other thing I was gonna mention is this m- random movie I watched called Night Mother which came out in 1986. What are we laughing Is at? Is it related at? to Wolf Mother?
0: It's, no,
3: it's, 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 it's just it's just <laughs> the way you said it, this other movie called Nightmother. I had to make sure I had that right. <laughs> okay. But yes,
2: from 1986, I believe it was a TV movie. I only say that because... It looks like one. It kind of looks like one, but it would not It would be hard to tell because it's uh, based off a play and it takes place in one room type thing. Oh, right so I wouldn't really? Alley. Exactly. That's why I sought it out. Uh, but it was produced by Aaron Spelling, who is a TV person. Oh, yeah. So, right. yeah. So, I, I feel like it was probably a TV movie. But it stars Sissy Spacek and... Uh, Tori Spelling? And uh, Anne <laughs> Bancroft. Sorry. That's okay. And um, it stars those two as a mother and daughter. And it's based of play and is essentially Sissy SpaceX character informs her mother that she's going to commit suicide that night Mm. and that she's gone through all the preparations she needs and she literally spends the whole night telling her like I've left your laundry here this is how you work the the, the washing machine and because she's been taking care of her mother the whole time and so the whole uh play slash the movie adaptation that I saw is all about uh, how the character basically goes through and tries to justify uh, the decision she's going to make by the end of the night and whether the mother can kind of persuade her uh, not to do it. And I, I thought it was, I, I guess I wouldn't say I, I loved it, even though I kind of did in the sense that it was certainly made for me because I love just people in a room talking about yeah. a problem and trying to work through it so on that sense I loved it obviously I actually do think that this movie adaptation of the play was a little weakened by the fact that it felt like a movie adaptation of a play like there was too many times when the like the, the blocking would be like they would move from the kitchen to the living room like 20 times within like 5 minutes you know and, and it seemed like they only did that because they thought people would get restless with you know in, in watching this drama unfold but I'm like you have a mother or you have a yeah mother trying to prevent her daughter from committing suicide we don't need action we, it's already taken place so I thought I was going
3: to say if you watch a movie like Tape yeah. and, and you see that does really only take place in one room for yeah. the entire film you don't need to continuously yeah. be moving the camera you just need to have the characters moving to make exactly. the story come to life Yeah, and, yeah. and that's
2: an even smaller uh Room. I mean that, that that motel room and tape is quite literally like seven cent- centimeters. I mean, yeah, it's so it's small. A, it's a shitty motel room, exactly. Sh- and here we have a, a nice southern home and whatnot. And they move throughout the whole thing, and I felt like that was unnecessary. But the the acting of it and um, uh, just the the back and forth between Anne Bancroft and especially Sissy Spacek, uh, she was fantastic. It was kind of fun to see her uh, now that I've been watching Bloodline Season Two, and and she's right in that transitionary phase where she doesn't quite look like the young Sissy. Spacek and she's starting to look like the Sissy Spacek of nowadays you know so she certainly fit that character I think she was playing back then and uh, yeah I I enjoyed it it's such a weird under I I think because it's a TV movie that's why I've never even heard of it until I heard of it uh, randomly and so I I, I recommend it it was just a good play and I did enjoy that the. and I'm not going to say what the ending is in case someone hasn't read the play but I enjoyed that the play does not necessarily back out from the initial premise of trying to get to the bottom of such a decision and, and what that would take and what that would do and the uh the, the title night mother is one of the best use of titles in like in a uh dialogue in any movie or play because you know some titles obviously are never spoken in, you know whatever some are and this is like when a character uh, obviously, when Sissy Spacek, no one else is going to say it. But when she says Night Mother, that's one of the best moments in the entire hmm. uh, uh, play. She,
1: she plays, for me, one of the most infuriating characters uh, in Bloodline, uh, <laughs> which is the, kind yeah. of the matriarch. Yep. And the way in which everyone cannot confront truth around her and how that uh, it just exponentially well, complicates... I mean, this
3: is, comes from someone who's only seen season one in the first episode of season two. She was pretty much absent during all the bad times,
1: so it mm. makes sense she that was they...
2: absent-minded, maybe. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's a battle between mother she yeah, was just, and, it's not, or, and I'm not
1: saying it's entirely yeah. her fault that makes her uh, infuriating. I think it's the way the characters cannot... Just oh, they, 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 but just, that's they what I, I guess. Yeah. more
3: What I was going for is that they don't, the other characters
1: don't have that kind of relationship where they feel like they can actually tell her the truth, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. yeah, and I think that's, and I love that about the show. I like how it puts me in a place that makes me squirm in that way. So I'll go on the record and say that Sissy Spacek's character in Bloodline
2: is my most hated character on that show. No,
3: like, like you hate her character, like you, you hate the way that that character's, or you
4: don't no, like no, the way that.
2: Her. Like, like, as in, like, who I should sympathize with?
3: Oh, okay, Which, I like,
4: see. I,
2: I think she is the worst person currently on that show huh. and has been huh. for a long time. Uh, I, I have a lot of thoughts on that actually, but anyway, uh, yeah. Maybe but, we'll do another Bloodline episode. I say I'm morning. halfway through Bastion. You gotta I, catch it.
3: I've got work to do. I need to watch more of that and yeah. the Night of. But uh, and a- apparently that other show on Netflix that everybody's fucking talking about that I can't. Can't get away from Stranger Things. Yes.
2: Well, wow. that's a good right. segue right, to our right away. Next right into
3: oh.
0: it. Yeah. Well, let's do it. I uh, I finally like think last episode I talked about how I was like halfway through uh, Stranger Things and I finally finished it this uh, this past week and I think that my verdict on it is that it's it's solid. I I would definitely recommend it. Um, I think that a lot of the the compliments that are lobbed on is that it's a emulation of a a Spielbergian sort of aura mixed with uh, Stephen King. Like those are the most visible like influences of it. It's like, there's also been other like shoehorned, like things that they're trying to like say that they're, they're invoking Stand by
1: me. There's St- on the track. I mean, I no, felt, yeah. that's, that's yeah. very much what yeah. they're
0: trying to do is like, they're, it, it, this is a strength and also a weakness of the, of the entire series. in that I feel like it's able to take, it's able to remix these these iconic scenes and make them their own with like to justify why they actually exist inside of the, in inside this universe inside this actual narrative, um, without feeling like they are comedic vignettes from like a Jay, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back sort of scenario where they're just like harkening back to like all this this slapdash other Good
2: Goodwill Hunting two hunting season yeah like that yeah <laughs> oh
0: my god I love that fucking movie. <laughs> um... That's one of my guilty pleasures. Anyway, uh but I really enjoyed it. Like the the cliffhanger, there is a cliffhanger at okay. the end of the first season, um, that really did scratch my like sci fi like eighties itch, like so to Because like I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing how at least three um key threads are um are are continued on in the next season because one character ends up disappearing um another character um you you don't know what their relationship is to like the whole entire group and another character um is able to do something that not everybody else knows about and i think that Honestly, the, the the smash cut at the end is like one of my favorites. I watched it over a couple of times just because I thought it was it was fucking mm-hmm. great. But my main concern about this 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 series is, and I, and I almost accidentally said film because it it, pull, it pulls so much yeah. from the medium of film for Spielberg and also from even adaptations from from Stephen King, is that how long can this really go on for? Like, can it always exist in this sort of like? This perpetual suburbia, like bubble realm, where it's kind of like emulating the 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 euphoric, like nostalgic, like heyday of of yesteryear.
1: Will Netflix have the um, the? Will Will they be able to say, yeah, this can only be two seasons? Yeah, because can I mean, they actually like, stop yeah.
0: themselves? Right? Can they Can they actually do it? Because I don't know if they've they've actually. I don't know if there's actually been a case of that. They've actually stopped themselves, like on on the basis of like the story uh, well, is
3: complete. For, forget about stopping themselves. Stopping themselves when people are watching. Yeah, I know that's and, the, that's the bigger issue. I think, and,
2: and I think uh,
1: Hemlock, Hemlock Grove yeah. is yeah a, that was the one
2: is a finished show, and I think that was because of a lack of interest. Yeah, well, and not lack of interest, but because it was bad. For it was. I, <laughs> yeah, I, it I would was rather I rather
0: yeah. the show um, stick to what it's good at in that I feel, I, I feel like how long can the show really go on for and like just apping off of the precedent of Stephen King and, and Steven Spielberg because even though those are two of respectively one of like two of the greatest storytellers of the 20th century like they only have so many iconic like horror sci-fi films that you can actually like plausibly emulate in this context.
3: Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Let me, it's something totally unrelated but it involves Netflix. Yeah. How long can House of Cards go? Um, that
0: needs to fucking end. I haven't even okay. watched the last season, but I feel like this it, it it follows in the in in the formula of it's either a a comedy or a tragedy, and we already know that it's supposed to be a tragedy. It's a tragedy of <laughs> ambition. It's a tragedy of moral failing. Well, and I, if, if if it's I, I, funny
2: I, that you say it needs to end, not because I disagree or anything yeah. like that, but. We're on the season four now, I think, uh, and so if it continues, it'll go to a fifth season, and yet it's adapted from a British miniseries that, season. that was three episodes long. So yeah. it's almost oh. like we <laughs> have already technically gone yeah. past the point of no return.
3: I think we're at a weird impasse with, with series continuing on, because you're at the weird point with series that get marathoned by mm-hmm. people who take off work and watch 15 hours of television they in ex- one day. They and experiment day.
2: with... What I do with my free time.
3: But no, this is not just a nick like this is people like who I work with who took off of work when House of Cards came out and (laughs) stayed home the entire day and watched the entire series. Yeah, that's weird. Well, it's weird, but at the same time, it's a very different Way of judging quality of of television. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
4: so, I mean, you
2: it, you can be very forgiving in certain things. Like, I mean, I know so many people hated the season four of Arrested Development, but I watched that all in one day, partially because mm-hmm. I debuted in the summer when I was back in like college, so I yeah. had nothing to do, but also because I wanted to watch that continuity straight through. But I also I often wonder, like, well, if I had watched that like once a week, would I really dug it? Right. It? Yeah, yeah. Netflix has
1: a different. You know they they have they're not exactly transparent about what is it that they see as the formula that will say, okay, we're going to have another season of this. Whereas uh, NBC or ABC, they, they have to be accountable to the ratings book and say this is how we can justify the budgets well, and all the other stuff. They're, oh, their the, ratings, so-
2: though, they're such – pussies. Let me just say that. They they just won't (laughs) release it. Well, it's it's one thing if you won't release it, but the fact that they say that they... If you didn't care about ratings, that's another thing. But because they, they keep saying that they won't release ratings, but... The ratings on X is great and the rating on Y is fine. Like, that becomes meaningless in the face of them not mm-hmm. releasing it. And I have to admit that, like, I can understand why they would release a lot of their shows uh, all at once, whether it be Arrested Development, which totally benefits from like a one-time sitting because it's so weirdly convoluted, or even like Bloodline, which I'm guessing a lot of people wouldn't really get into, even the first season, if they didn't have at least one more episode it's to not,
3: watch. But Bloodline, to me, and this is coming from someone who's only seen the first season, Season is not the kind of show that I would think anyone would really go and watch the entire. No, season not the entire. One but
2: had, did, did you did you always kind of feel like you'd rather watch like two at a time? than yeah. w- because of the fact that you wanted to get a little more. But out I, of-
3: I don't. I don't see in any way I could ever sit down and no. watch that entire no, season no. in and one. I'm not day. saying that,
2: but I, I am getting a little upset at Netflix's model because they are continually, including up to today showing uh a an apprehension to adapting a once a week model because for example now we have the release date of the new uh, gilmore girls revival a show that obviously flourished on the uh, wb with a once a week show and they i will admit they're that the fact that they picked it up and let and allowed Amy Sherman Palladino create her final season that she never got to create before because um, she was fired in the seventh season was great, and then that's another great extension of a Netflix brand of giving people a second chance and letting just any content flourish. But the 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 annoying thing is that the structure of that season is going to be four episodes long uh, a season for each like fall winter summer spring mm-hmm. or spring summer um, and that's great because that's totally in tune with that show because it was always like a yearly type thing uh, and they're ninety minute episodes each so it's like a movie oh, it's like British television yes but mm-hmm. they're dropping all four of those that day like oh. but, like they're not treating it any differently and this is like the final straw in me thinking that Netflix will ever release something week to week because I thought for at least for this because the episodes are over long and they're truly like movie events so to speak that they would try to cherish something but I don't know I'm, it's a well, tangent, I mean, I mean it, it's, the, it's the, really the, the
3: truth about it is that in this model you do not have to tease
1: future episodes ever
2: no you don't have to tease it but like I would love to talk to people about episodes. Agreed. Rather, rather so, than yeah, for about, lack of a better metaphor,
1: yeah. it robs you of the water cooler moments, yeah. right? Which we is have like three, how everyone freaks out about Monday morning about we have Game of Thrones we have, and they're like, Oh my god, I you knew what happened and we don't you can't have that with Netflix shows because you have to sit on your hands when you're like, Oh, you're only on episode three. Right. We, yes, have, right. right. we have really three
2: people at this table. I believe Brian, you have finished Bloodline season mm-hmm. two. I have gotten five episodes into season two, and Alex has gotten one episode into season. So, like, here's I right have not here. gotten
0: past season one,
1: <laughs> and I can't tell you how awesome episode eight is because right. I'm tearing my hair out during so exactly. you know, this one scene because it's really intense. <laughs> and so, yeah. but we
2: can't have these conversations, right. because, But at yeah. the
3: same time, too, I think another detriment to that model, you know, for, from my perspective at least is it doesn't really give me the motivation to watch it and yeah, keep so up with other be people there. because it's it's there and, you know, sketch it And the it longer eventually. you
2: wait, the closer you'll be to the, last. So the next time. Hey! Re- you got it. Yeah. yeah. So no, I'm, I'm with true. you. And yeah, the, I, I just think it's evil. Yeah. I,
3: <laughs> I think it's benefits and detriments. Yeah, how do you say So, wrapping up my <laughs> impressions
0: of Stranger Things.
2: When did you get here? I know, right? Yeah.
0: Um, I think that... If I were to try to sell this show to somebody, I would say that it is a, um, it is a combination of Spielberg's E.T. Uh, mixed with, I think, is it Frank Darabont who did Stand By Me?
2: No, that was...
1: Uh, no, that was... Um, Rob Reiner? It was Reiner. Yeah. Rob
0: Reiner. It was like yeah. Rob Reiner's uh, Stand By Me mixed with uh, Katsuhiro was Akira, which I thought was really fucking <laughs> yeah. dope because like that's
2: one of my favorite movies. So Unfortunately, I'm more of a Mac and Me person than E.T. Oh,
0: that's okay. Well, you'll still like it, though. I mean, it's, it's a good show. Um, I, I do have one more thing that I do want to talk about um, very shortly. It's an anime film, and uh, it, it's called... Uh, Royal Space Force uh, Wings of Honamisa. And it is a. It, it, it's typically championed as being one of the classics of anime film. It was the first. Uh, film by acclaimed studio Gainax, who's done things like Neon Genesis Evangelion and Gurren Lagann. These are a bunch of words that you guys probably just have no idea what the fuck this Whoa, is about. I've heard of those words. You've heard of those? Okay. Yeah. I've those heard words. of Neon
2: uh, Genesis. Neon
0: Genesis Evangelion? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, and it came out in 1987. And it was directed by Hiroyuki Yamaga. And I'm just going to like read off the, the short little synopsis of it. It's like, on a distant planet, armed conflict between the kingdom of Honamisa and its rival is inevitable. As evolving technology creates new ways to wage war, a small group seeks to propel mankind into space in their in their world's first space flight program. The world's first astronaut, Shiro Tsu-e, uh Ladat, evolves from an aimless young man into a leader willing to risk everything in order to reach the stars. And I thought that it was fucking awesome. I thought that at least... Um, I want to watch it a second time because it's like a two-hour film.
2: Is this on Netflix or is it's, it – It's not on Netflix. Okay. I actually
0: had to purchase it through iTunes, which kills me Whoa. on the inside because I hate their format for, for videos. I tried to convert it into a uh, – a, a, a regular format though, so I could just, like, play it on my PS3 but no, I had to, like, sit at my computer. And yes. I think that's bullshit. And I think iTunes can go fuck itself. But the film itself is great. Closed system. Yeah, it's a closed system. Um <laughs> I think that it, it still stands up, especially with uh, Mate painting. I think that the characters are – this is honestly I, – I, I understand why this is championed as a classic because a lot of these character types are so antithetical to the to the formulaic, like, um, rubric that most animes like follow through by like Shiro is not typically a he's not a, a heroic character he's just kind of this guy who wanted to go into the Air Force and then he kind of like dropped out because he didn't have the grades for it so he ended up like having to be shuffled off into the Space Force which is just this program kind of
4: like the new Kirk
2: yeah like
0: the, the the yeah like like the program that nobody like really gives a shit about until like there's this cold war <laughs> between like Honomisa and the Republic um Every there's there so many things to like about this film, uh, but I did a little bit of reading and research beforehand because I didn't watch this purely out of uh, out out of just interest of it. I'm also like watching it for like a little project that I can't talk about right now. Um, Whoa! But I'm I'm just working on it. Uh, but there is a there's a a, a very controversial uh, scene uh, about. The three-fourth way into the film that actually depicts – has a depiction of sexual violence that a lot of people have either like just turned a blind eye to or they just try to downplay. And that shit does not fly with me at all. I think that this is otherwise a beautiful, beautiful film – but it is almost irrevocably marred for the fact that it actually includes the scene. And I've seen different arguments about like how this – the scene was supposed to be approached or, or or whether or not it actually constituted sexual violence. And I'm just like, dude, that is so gross. Get the
1: fuck out of my so are face. You, so your objection to it – so My, my objection
0: to it is that it, it serves no purpose. Right. Um. It didn't to, advance the plot. It, it, it didn't like – It, it didn't – there's – in, in, in the argument that it's supposed to advance the plot and it's supposed to define this character, there are literally a million mm-hmm. other ways that you could go about this. But also how um, the, the aftermath of how it is handled or rather how it is resolved right. with air quotes is just so fundamentally regressive that it's just – Oh,
1: it's infuriating. So, so, so in the um, rendering of this attack, yes. it, was it meant to titillate? You know I mean? Was it no, meant to it's, excite? Because it, that would be also it's, it's not pretty meant to, bad.
0: Yeah, the, the anime, i I, I got to cop to this, like a lot of animes are guilty of that, and right. I'm not going to give them a, a pass for that right. at all. It's like, oh no, it's a cultural thing. It's like, no, fuck out of here with that. Mm-hmm. Um, this, I thought, um, was just so out of left field, and it just... Ah it just it just twists me up because the film otherwise is a very beautiful beautifully rendered film I think that it's it's one of the cases where an animated film creates a a a fully fleshed out fully evolved universe that is so interesting that has its own culture that you never see these aspects of it anyway and it's just like this is what happens when you let the leash loose when you don't when you don't have to acquiesce to um to, to to producers or to outside funding companies and you don't have to 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 market the newest like Microsoft laptop or some other bullshit all you have to do is just make a fully realized film i'm just like god damn it but it's mm-hmm. it's it's I, I i recommend anyway that you sh- you probably should watch this film but in my ranking at least like that scene alone like just kind of like brings it down like by at least like a star, if not a half star in my, no, a star, if not a star and a half by my margin. So wings of Honamisa, Um, yeah, I would, I would still recommend it. So, yeah.
3: All right. Very good. Well, okay. let's, uh, keep with the circle we have here at the table and yeah. move on to
1: Brian. Uh, I tried to, uh, make my way through all of the movies from my last, uh, appearance on film tank, which were, uh, the ones that, uh, Nick, you had suggested the imposter. Oh for the listeners absolutely i mean everything amazing yep. um then um vanishing uh went through that and then listened to the episode cuz that's the, i wanted yep. like yeah cuz all the stuff that i haven't seen i i watched and then i can go back and listen to the shows that you guys did um and then the one that you also recommended night of the hunter did any of you guys see that one i have uh, not, not, not yet. Have God, it's so, so good that is so really good, good. you like oh, oh loved it absolutely loved it and then the other one was um approaching the elephant was the other one that you recommended which oh, was yeah. Um, kind of based oh, say on the teacher. Yes. Uh, which was uh based uh kind of what appears to be like this kind of uh, A. S. Neil Summerhill model, mm-hmm. which is kind of like, hey, if we got a problem, you know, we'll kind of all vote on it. It's it's it really makes you consider the not only how just how uh, un- unqualified uh, this model of uh, of education is uh, not appropriate at all for that age level. Um, it, it does it, how how they completely mismanage um, the aspects of human freedom of what they think would actually be happening in this type of school.
2: I, I have a question. Yeah. Just as someone who's not a teacher, I, I viewed the film. Mm-hmm. I love the film. I'm curious as to your opinion because I, for my own personal opinion, found that what I loved about the movie was that by the end of the movie, I was basically finding the protagonist, so to speak, to be the villain of the piece. Mm-hmm. Not in that, like, diabolical way, but... Are you in, talking about the, the, the uh, guy teacher? Who, or yeah, the, the yeah. guy who basically started the school or whatever and who was trying to get the kid, like, out on he the He lost tributary. his religion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, he really like, did. I'm like, you know... It, it, it's one thing that even though I started the movie thinking, okay, have an open mind, yeah. maybe there's something to whatever, but by the end of the movie, whether his practice works or it doesn't work, which I think clearly by the film it showed it didn't in this yeah. case, I was also – I it went way past that to the point where I'm like, okay – even if this can work you are never going to be the person who can no, make this work no. and I was just and curious what the, you thought the,
1: the, the, uh, the child was it Giovanni was that yes his Giovanni name? Um, oh, it was, I mean it was was not a kid who could be fixed in this <laughs> no. model and, and how he, I mean if he was taken out of it one could maybe imagine how yeah. this model could have flourished but yeah. as, a, as a consequence but, just one kid and because the system was designed to give a vetting of, of yep. every kid equal power completely and... uh, imploded and th- if, you any potential progress if you can't that could happen in that serve school. a kid like Giovanni,
2: yeah. then in my opinion,
1: what's the point? Exactly. Because
2: the other kids could have flourished, and I yeah. think, in a regular Although school. Although there
1: stuff. was, you know, and whether or not it was because of Giovanni, you know, there's a scene like maybe uh, within the first you know half hour when it was like some type of talent contest where they brought the parents in. the things yeah. that we're working yep. on, and the kid. Stands in front of the parents Puts his arm underneath his shirts And just does arm farts yeah. It's like That's what you've been working on Since August? Really?
4: That's it? Come on
1: I, I know Nah, it's bananas I mean, that was just crazy <laughs> How do I reach these kids? <laughs> yeah, exactly So, uh, the movie that uh, So, uh, that uh, I, I watch And I've been evangelizing To you guys on On, um, on uh, Facebook Messenger Is uh, I, It came to me from uh, Listening to the Brett Easton Ellis podcast He's you know, he can be insufferable sometimes in his opinions. He's very polemic, but he has, he's got some really great guests on. And he was interviewing the director of uh, the movie, and he's been talking about this. It's called The Invitation. I think you had seen yeah, it. It's I on Netflix. That. That's still just on my list. It yeah. just came up on uh, Netflix. And of course, I rented it on Amazon a week before. Yeah. And now you go on Netflix. Nah. Fucking Netflix. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I mean, it, it was funny, but it was worth it anyway. I would have paid four bucks for it, whatever it was. Um, loved this movie um and i think where uh so the premise of the movie is that uh there's a couple and they i don't remember if they got into exactly how they acquired young wealth as they did but they suffered a um uh, a tragedy their young son died maybe he was like five or six years old Mm -hmm. at a at a birthday party nonetheless at, at the home so this is now two or three years later um, they've gone their separate ways because of just dealing with the grief of it, and now there's this very curious invitation. So the wife has moved on. She's either married to this new guy or they're dating. I don't think and... they were married. Yeah. I don't know. It was kinda... And he's involved, in, and, and they, they invite like friends that used to be all kind of run together. They come back to this party for this invitation, and you get a sense that um, that the husband or the father, when he's come comes back, You can't, uh, and and dealing with his grief, and then with all of these weird uh, moments that happen. Like, and then you come to see that there's kind of this very soft sell of what feels to be this kind of like cult of what they're trying to sell you. It's very odd, and all these things that are surreal, that aren't, you know, beyond Newtonian physics that are happening. These are um, you can't tell if is he imagining these things because of his rage and his grief and the absurdity of what's going on here. And I will say the last maybe 15, 20 minutes of this movie, um, they accomplish everything that I thought that was maybe not as satisfying in The Babadook, which was, m, can you trust the interpretation of reality of what this person is going through? And I, ah. I thought that was um, – and that there's a scene – um, and you know what i 'm talking about where it 's like it 's so intense is that in the backyard or uh, uh, no or it, uh, okay. it was at, it was actually at the
4: dinner table oh yeah, yeah uh, that, that
1: scene where it 's like it 's like a minute and a half where you 're just holding on you 're like what is going on it 's fantastic and what 's interesting is the director when he had her on she had um she her first movie was Girl Fight. And then her next movie, all of a sudden, this is like a typical kind of Hollywood thing, which is they're like, oh, you had some success, so we're just going to back <laughs> the brink tr- truck up to you and give you a pile of cash. And she made the Aeon Flux movie. Oh! To start, right? Yes! Uh, like, uh, yeah. So, as you remember, Aeon Flux was a very fun, Physical pain for two seconds. But it, it came from Liquid Television, uh, which was a really fun MTV animation Can Show. I tell
0: you about Aeon Flux? No. No. <laughs> okay. Aeon Flux is is... Probably one of those shows. I don't give a fuck. Wikipedia. How shut often up. do I get to talk about Aeon fucking Flux? Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm so like softball for you, man. I'm yeah. like a
3: second away from turning off his microphone.
0: <laughs> Aeon Flux. I'm gonna get a beer. Created by Peter Chung is probably one of the most avant garde, most freaking like. Absolutely weird! Like, it was amazing. Yeah. Animation shows of all time. It started off as just a bunch of like skits that yeah. were just like happening
1: in, in, in short. Seasons. And there was always something crazy that would cause our demise. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: And and then it it got expanded into like two seasons. and I actually have the entire like show on DVD. I don't like think I
1: ever saw the seasons of it. The but, only yeah.
0: thing that was good about the release of that stupid film with Charlize Theron, and I love Charlize Theron.
3: <laughs> we know you and, love Charlize Theron. Right. Is,
0: is that it resulted in the remaster and re-release of the actual Aeon sure. flood like series on DVD mm-hmm. is, like, is what I'm saying, and it's just I eventually one of these days I want to write an article about Aeon Flux just because it's so, it's, it's such a, a mind bend. It, was, it yeah. was one of those things that I probably should not have been watching it when I was that young. Uh, it warped my brain for the rest of my life, and I thank it for that because yeah, I love yeah. that weird sci-fi. Oh, yeah.
1: So she, she, you know, she was provided this opportunity. She got a budget, but then like anything, the entanglements of the studio saying, "Well, that's not what we want you to do," and she claims that this is kind of not what she had hoped to be mm-hmm. for her film. She was going to make that's it, it good. Yeah. and they were like, and, nah yeah," man. and they're like, "No, nah. let's let's make this happen." Let's. I mean, I, I didn't see the movie. I can't know. And then she made Jennifer's body, which was from the um, Cody. Oh, she was the one who did the yeah, script for the, Juno, right? Yeah. Double, uh, Cody double script, Cody, thank you. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so she did that movie, and then this movie, The Invitation. Um, it was one of those, and I just, I love. I mean, it, sometimes when you don't have things to work with, it it just forges great work. Yeah, I think they made this movie for like a million bucks, huh. and uh, it was excellent. So yeah. I highly recommend that on Netflix. I have to admit, I have yeah. vivid
2: memories of watching it, but I was close to Blackout Drunk when I watched it. Eh, oh, no, so I only remember the it. beginning Absolutely. and in, like the last drank. half hour. Yeah. So I need to rewatch it to reevaluate. Yes. But even being somewhat drunk, uh, I, I have extremely vivid <laughs> yeah, reactions I, to it. Big thumbs up.
3: Speaking of uh, people being given a ton of money in making films, there is a film coming out uh, in late September that I was not on my radar at all, mm-hmm. but now is very much on my radar. Not that it's going to be good or bad. But a film I want to see, and I was actually uh, going to bring this up, forgot about it, and now my memory's been yeah. jogged because of Aeon yeah. Flux, and that brings in the uh, the director Colin Trevorrow, who no. has was given Jurassic World, has been given Star Wars, and he's going to throw this small little somewhat indie film out there called The Book of Henry later this year. Yeah. Is it related Star- to the Book of Eli? Well, I mean, he... Uh... Starring <laughs> oh, Naomi Watts and Lee Pace. And I
2: mean, he got started not... doing uh, Safety Not Guaranteed, right? Right, which, yeah.
3: but I, I guess what I'm saying is now that we've seen Jurassic World, we know he's doing Star Wars, the the final, or the ninth episode, so the final film of this trilogy. I'm interested to see this film, only because I, I, I want to see if his direction has changed at all. So We do. Um, some that wasn't on my radar, but talk about guys just being given money because of success. There you go. All right. Yeah. Dope. Cool. So, yeah. my turn. I get to talk about a film uh, that has been somewhat polarizing, and that is the film adaptation of the classic graphic novel, Batman the Killing Joke, which came out uh, straight to movie later, earlier this week. Straight to movie?
0: Straight to DVD. Straight to DVD. Yeah, yeah. Straight uh, to yes. Blu-ray. Well,
3: I meant like home movies. So home right. movie. yeah. yeah. Alcohol I get makes it, brain cells die. No problem. It's so, okay. <laughs> so anyways, uh, this film was in the theater for one night only.
2: And it, I will say, from what I hear, the reports actually it got a much better box office than they thought it would be. I it's went a to, Batman film.
3: I went to the second yeah. showing because uh, there were two at pretty much every theater. There was a 7 o'clock and a 10 o'clock. I went to the later one on Monday night. And I would say the theater was about eighty percent full.
4: Yeah, wow. yeah, just
3: pretty, pretty good. good. yeah, yeah. And it was a one night only thing, right? Mm-hmm. I believe, yeah. So, um, I went to see it, knowing full well that there had been a little bit of controversy surrounding this adaptation. Oh, how yeah.
1: how um, how much do you know of the source material? Did you read the graphic novel? Prior I to did not or? read
3: the graphic novel. Mm-hmm. I knew. The basic story surrounding it, mm-hmm. and this is
1: Alan Moore, right? This is, Correctly, this or? is
0: one of Alan Moore's most celebrated, um, like installments yeah. for for DC, along with uh,
1: Swamp Thing. Hey, I know that's he did he, did he did Swamp Watchmen.
0: Thing, and he also did um, whatever happened to
1: the, Baby Jane.
0: No, whatever happened to the Man of Steel? Yeah. That was one okay. of those those defining uh, super Superman stories. But he is totally. He he's he's a he's a crazy uh, uh, swamp warlock from Nor- North North yeah. Hampshire who yeah. just cut off all ties with like major um, comics. He he does like mostly uh, League of Extraordinary, Extraordinary Gentlemen on his own now, and he just refuses to see any adaptations of his older work just because um, he has a right to because it, they haven't been very good. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of them haven't been very good.
3: So, anyways, yeah, go. Two- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm an asshole. Uh, Tucson is way more in this realm of comics and, and, and animation in, in this area. For some reason, I really want to see this. Batman's my favorite uh, superhero. Well, yeah. It, it's 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 one of
0: the, the, the original graphic novels, one of the primary texts that actually inspired Heath Ledger's depiction of the Joker in Dark Knight. So.
3: And two... Um, I have seen many episodes of Batman the Animated Series, Absolutely. and this stars Kevin Conroy, yes, and Mark Hamill as yes. the Joker, uh, which this film would not let you forget because there was a fifteen-minute Matt Hamill <laughs> wankoff fest uh, that played before the movie, which was awful. Good old fathom events. <laughs> yeah. was, was it like
0: like Mark Hamill? No, like, it was I Mark
3: feel- Hamill like talking and then yeah. showing, but. The I showed first,
2: up to the set of Kingsman. <laughs> yeah,
3: the, the first, the, honestly, the first seven to ten minutes was about Star Wars. I wish I was joking. Wow. It was. Oh Kingsman, my...
2: Right? I
4: didn't no, just make he was that. Not. Up. Oh, oh yes.
3: Yes, for like okay. a minute. He wanted like, to make sure. More more like way. he was the one
1: that they tried um, uh, recovering at the yeah, beginning. Yeah. It's, it's more like a they, cameo. But yeah. Yes,
3: for a split second after I said that,
2: I thought I was making.
1: He's the one who his head exploded. He's the professor who. Yeah, the beginning, very
2: beginning, very beginning.
3: Before the before the title card.
2: I don't even <laughs> like that movie and I remember that. Okay,
3: yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, that was terrible. Uh, then we get to the movie starting and DC has a new logo hey. for anybody who didn't know. They they got the message that they're one that they came out with after their awesome one that well, they had for a admit, long time. Do
2: you like this logo better than the... It's It's... It's... I'll say it's boring for a, uh, for a comic book company. Because I've been hearing from people, but they're also, you know, I, I don't want to hole people, but, you know, comic book fans or whatever. But a lot of people are actually hyping up this new logo and mm-hmm. saying that they should put this in front of all their DC products. I f-
3: think that that is a possibility. Yeah. The one they have now is not good. so And I think they honestly got rid of their awesome one because it was too close to what Marvel did. Because Marvel actually kind of ripped it off. And they're, they're the ones who have to... They're like Michael Bolton. Like, they have to give <laughs> away the name now because that fucking singer. So anyways, uh, the film, though, has had some weird sort of talk surrounding it. Mm-hmm. Specifically regarding the 30-minute Batgirl story that begins off the film that is original to this movie. Like, it has... And I know Batgirl is in the graphic novel. This, this oh, yeah. but, graphic
0: but... novel is is iconic for um, – I, I mean I haven't even seen the film. But just like speaking from the actual source material, like this graphic novel is one of the most iconic in that it depicts something that happens to one of the core like Batman universe characters. Um, that is, 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 is arguably one of the worst things that the Joker has ever done. Yeah.
4: Um, yeah,
2: but the prologue to this—the the prologue is completely original. Right? Yeah, it's thirty minutes of a back
3: Batgirl story, which I will say, um, and not giving away the events because I honestly didn't know every single thing about this before I went saw. I knew the basic story, but mm-hmm. I, I didn't know every single part of it. Um, but I will say that I think the good thing about the the Batgirl prologue is it does give a little bit of context to her story and has you buy in. A little bit more. However uh, that one small good part doesn't necessarily breathe into the rest of it. Because it honestly is its own story. Like it's 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 a it's a comic book. It it is. It's a story that starts here and has an ending, and then we start the killing joke story. And it's it, it doesn't really always seem to fit. And it also includes this scene uh and the entire part where she's obsessed with Batman. Uh, and then finally starts seducing him. He grabs her ass, and then they have sex. Yeah, that's... Um, I, 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 <laughs> the I, look on Bride's face is so befuddled. I, I, I read just like everyone in the theater, who uh, most of the people in the theater apparently did not know this was going to happen. <laughs> and no, just like bad. me, I didn't either. And I, oh, everyone really? was like, oh... Oh, and the way that it that it happens, where she pretty much like jumps on top of him and almost like starts to female rape him. Can I can I ask a question? Can, really yes, quickly, sir. right yeah. before you do, yeah. Um, she she rips off her mask, and then she rips off the top part of her Batgirl uniform mm-hmm. and flips this. it away like a hanky. Mm-hmm. And it, it is it's um it's a something. Now she's not naked. I will say that. Okay, so that Another layer.
0: No, that's the question she that, that I blonde, wanted to ask because
3: blonde. I and her blonde. pants never come off for the audience. <laughs> here, here, here's, so. Oh, I was going to
2: say, how did they <laughs> <laughs> It's
3: not a hardcore Yeah, so Here's, go, here's, go ahead. here's my thoughts Paolo on Pasolini film.
0: <laughs> here's my thoughts on that. Um just being familiar with just a lot of like back canon stuff especially just in in the animation wise like this is not the first time that they have hinted at, or even even like talked about the the possibility of Batman and Batgirl having a relationship. Because as far back as like the early two thousand one animated series Batman Beyond, where it talks about Barbara Gordon and being the the commissioner of of the futuristic Gotham City, she like talks about with Terry McGinnis, the then contemporary Batman, and it's just like there's a reason why everybody like leaves Bruce at some point, and it actually like hints at the the fact that at least some time like not seen by anybody there was actually a relationship between Barbara and Bruce and that they broke it off and things fizzled out and then they just like went their separate ways. This is um, unprecedented and it's also I believe that it was written by Paul Dinney who is one of the principal uh, architects behind the Batman animated like series so I can see like him harkening back to like batman beyond in that sort of way and trying to like it's it, it's it's really fucking weird but the, the reason why i ask about whether they're wearing costumes or not is not, not some lascivious answer because it, it's You're not gonna some, do it. it. no it's not because of some lascivious question because it actually harkens back to something <laughs> That is is probably one of the most batshit just. And ah,
1: ah, that's a man. Nick pun right there. One, one, one,
0: <laughs> one of the, the most bat shit insane <laughs> <laughs> pro- Double points. properties of 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 of, of 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 Batman comic book canon is that Frank Miller's All Star Batman. That scene that you're talking about, where they're having sex with the costumes on, is inspired by a scene from Frank Miller's. Um, All-Star Batman where it basically depicts Batman as a fucking sociopath who like leaves Robin to like fend for himself and like eat bats or whatever and like do shit and there's a scene eat in bats. that yeah. sounds right for Frank Miller. Yeah, it's a, yeah and and he he basically has sex with Catwoman while they have their clothes on. <laughs> with 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 their with with their with with, with their like, just the pussy I was looking for. Ah, like that <laughs> like that's why I asked that question it was just like of all the things that you had to Draw inspiration from you had to draw inspiration from, from that from will, him. Let, let me say this that I, man made year one, which is one of the greatest, if not the definitive, like origins for the contemporary Batman. But he's gone off the fucking deep end,
3: yeah, dude. He's done, yeah, yeah. I will say this I'm not trying to defend this really yeah. at all because I haven't the, seen it yet, so I can't really contest the actual context right. of it. And yeah. the whole, the whole Batgirl story was the absolute weakest part of the film. Uh, at, at one point, because I, again, I not was not someone who was really into this. I honestly had no fucking idea what was happening. Yeah,
2: <laughs> um, were there cars on a rooftop?
3: I mean, there weren't, but it it had that feel. This guy through, here's, through, through a thirty minutes <laughs> through a thirty minute part of a movie that's only yeah. an hour and sixteen minutes to begin with. So here is a but oh sorry go ahead. oh no I was just gonna say really quickly not to defend it but I will say this um, it is interesting that. We've seen over time, especially in the Batman films, of women being obsessed with Batman, not with Bruce Wayne. And we see, almost all the time, Bruce Wayne have this sort of weird persona of being this James Bond kind of playboy, even though he's not really, but he has to play... He's Gotham's most eligible bachelor. Right, but he also has to play that weird kind of eligible bachelor card. Um, and and we see this weird melding in that scene, I felt like, of, of Bruce Wayne sort of coming out. I'm not trying to defend I, it. I know. But, the- but, but, but all, I'm, all I'm saying is that I had a feel of at least... Maybe there was something that the even though you know that awesome interview they did at Comic Con mm. didn't really shed light to my theory right now. Nobody but... wanted him until he was wearing the mask.
2: <laughs> mask mm. of the orgasm. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's uh that's a good one. That's an all-timer. I'm proud of you. But I will say yes. I th- I think there's timing is everything in comedy and you just nailed that.
3: <laughs> that's why I ride. <laughs> There, when we watched uh, when we watched Batman Begins mm-hmm. altogether, um, when when <laughs> Bruce Wayne is falling down the side of the mountain, trying to catch Ra's al Ghul before he goes flying off the edge, and he grabs him and he's hanging off the edge of the mountain, he stakes his gauntlet into the yeah. side
0: of the mountain. He's like, Yeah,
3: hold on, let me let me finish. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So Bruce Wayne has him hanging off the side of the building. We see him just struggling, trying to hold on to the mountain and not let anything fall and we're all just sitting there silently and nick just says bruce you're hard he <laughs> just says bruce you're hard
0: <laughs> it was it was the highlight of the evening oh my god it was, it was amazing
1: so, you're welcome so perfectly timed oh my god <laughs>
4: so here's here's my question
1: about this so you wouldn't uh categorize the uh, the quality of the animation is by far nothing like you would get in a Pixar right where you know like the whisker that it oh, comes off someone. like
3: no the the animation I will say this I don't think that the animation necessarily was great here but it was really nice to actually see animation in a film and not see the mm-hmm. Disney Pixar mm-hmm. type method
1: so my, my, my my point is, is that is it possible that they could have made this because it seems to me you're saying that this felt a little shoehorned in the, in the beginning. Because it has nothing to do with the source material. So what I'm, I'm getting at is, is this the... <clears throat> Deadpoolification of a property, which is that we are going to push this into the R-rated, just to, to, to weather balloon, see if this is testable, that we can t- I, take a Batman They did property, push this but, into the R-rated. But the killing right. joke would have been scene, rated
2: R, wouldn't it? I mean, I haven't read the killing joke, I, but everything I hear about I, I agree, it.
1: I agree, I agree, but I'm saying, but if, know, if, I, if the consummation occurred in this in initial 30 minutes here, that is no doubt. In the, my you know, opinion,
3: yeah. as a film viewer, and someone who's seen many a film, this even with this, was not an R-rated movie, right? Mm -hmm. Just my opinion. Is it just because it was animated that people thought... I Perhaps I, I I did not get R rated out of this Can for me I personally.
2: Ask a random question about the movie, which is because
3: yes, I'm going to get into the parts that weren't the first 30 minutes in a second. Um, go ahead,
2: but this is just about the animation uh, since Brian brought it up. When I watched the trailer for it, it debuted on Yahoo Screen, I think, okay. which is a horrible streaming service, <laughs> and there was something weird about the the frame rate of what I watched. Now. I was trying to figure out, so as someone who watched the movie in a theater, was there anything weird about the fluidity of the animation? Was it to, choppy? Yeah, was it choppy at all?
3: I will say that I did <sighs> not... the trailer kind of was. Just hold on a second okay. here, to side. am not even giving the person who's actually fucking seen the movie I'm a sorry. chance. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I apologize. Um,
3: I will say this. I did get choppy and awkward at some times. However... When I used to watch the Batman animated series, I sometimes got choppy yeah. and awkward. But it wasn't so, something
2: that was present because I feel like when I watched the Yahoo Screen trailer, it was like from the start of a trailer to the end of a trailer. I don't, I,
3: I don't think this is in anywhere in the same neighborhood okay. as Mask of the Phantasm in terms of quality. Okay, let's put it that way. Just curious. I think it's somewhere in between. But for yeah. me, I enjoyed watching it because I feel like we don't get a lot of animation in this kind of way anymore. Yeah. So I, I just enjoyed watching yeah. it in the theater. And, and this was a very weird experience, getting to see this in a, in a theater format. Like, okay. it just was something that doesn't With come around. a lot around. of people.
2: So, yes. There was not that many people that showed up to when I went and saw the Fathom event uh, reshowing of uh, the Iron Giant uh, Giant's uh, yeah. anniversary. There was, like, ten people in that theater, and that was sad. But anyway. So,
3: moving on to the actual part of the killing joke that that is the, the real thing. Yes. Um, I will say this. Uh Kevin Conroy as Batman, uh, unfortunately, was not, I thought, that great. I think he had so few lines and so chance to give any sort of personality that it just really seemed like he showed up, read the lines, and left and got his name on the movie, which is really unfortunate. This source of material was not written for him. No, no, yeah. it's not. So, but yeah. it's, it's it still is just unfortunate because I feel like when you have something that isn't, doesn't have the sort of enthusiasm that Mark Hamill had doing his lines for this film it 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 shows through even just in in line readings and so that was disappointing Mark Hamill Joker even if it wasn't great it might just be nostalgia it might be it might be that but man this is just if if this is the only time he's ever going to do Joker again it's it, like this is this is all this is the reason why I gave this film three and a half out of five is because not just because of him and not just because of the Joker but because we get a really weird viewing of the Joker here. Even though I felt like the origin story, which is this is the definitive origin story of the Joker, ah uh, ah uh, ah uh, ah uh, ah. Uh, uh. Yeah. Okay. Let's say this though. Let's say this at least from someone who does not know Batman animated history like you do tozant. Yeah. I will say this, this is a, one of the very few times that we actually get uh, a story trying to tell the origin story of the Joker. I mean, he he gives a story, but I feel like in this film it doesn't have him reciting it though. It's Re- it shows it as a, what as a the story. What? Right. Are you for real? Yeah. Wow. Are you just joking? <laughs> No, because no. He also kills Bruce Wayne's parents. <laughs> no, no. He does. No, 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 no. But the, the,
0: this is a this is a major thing because like when I'm talking about the killing joke being a a primary text for what inspired Heath Ledger's like whole thing like his, his whole portrayal of the Joker in The Dark Knight, like the whole motif of him talking about like you know how I got these scars, mm-hmm. like talking and and basically coming up with these stories on the on the cuff. That we, section. That was inspired by the killing joke that was supposed to, like, lend into the the multiplicity that the actual
3: Joker himself, like, dovetails into. The, just to completely clarify, in my opinion, and uh, there's really no debating this, mm-hmm. this film shows it as part of the film, not as the Joker telling it. I don't know. How, I don't know how
0: I feel about that. I have to watch the film first. Okay. Uh,
3: yeah. I will say this. Uh, the That part of the film I didn't love, even though we get to see a really awesome scene with the Red Hood, with him running through the the chemical plant, whatever. Oh yeah. No, not, yeah. not feeling it. No. Uh, continue. Okay. Yeah. I will say this: the 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 reason why I love this film so much is the final fifteen minutes of this movie, with like the speech the, when they when the, the
2: killing joke got to the killing punchline. <laughs>
3: You're so you're so great, Nick. <laughs> no, when we get to the when we get to the carnival mm-hmm. that the Joker
2: has purchased and we get the the, Wait, the, the Is this the, similar to that I'm I'm just genuinely asking. Mm? Is this similar to that thing that was in Master of the Phantasm?
0: No, that was the world of tomorrow. This
3: is a yeah, totally okay. different thing. No, this is anyway. he goes and purchases a rundown carnival okay. and decides to use it in his attempt to drive Commissioner Gordon insane which is the basic plot line right, of, right. of this story. Yeah. So, which is where Batgirl, comes Commissioner in. Gordon's daughter, comes into play mm-hmm. and why the the previous story does have some merit in some way. Mm. So, it, it's this final scene that honestly is just so fantastic. I mean, from everything from the Joker standing in in front of like his like his the place where he lives in the story. Mm-hmm. And we see these different paintings of of himself. And, I mean, it's just me because I love Batman and I love the the live-action Batman movies. But the fact that every person who has ever played Batman is represented in one of these paintings that's in front of there, except for Jared Leto, Uh, we have Jack Nicholson's Batman. Ever played Joker.
2: Yes. Not Batman. Did I say that? You said it twice now. Drunk drinking. Sorry,
3: alcohol. I just ruins. wanted to correct that. Alcohol <laughs> ruins podcasts. Yeah. Ever play Joker? Ever play Joker? Gotcha. So we have one that's a uh, the Heath Ledger, clearly, clearly <laughs> Jack Nicholson, clearly Cesar Romero. That was amazing. The scene with uh, Commissioner Gordon going through this crazy carousel of and seeing the photos of his daughter. <laughs> was just incredible. And then we get the the scene when finally Joker and Batman come together and, and that's where the the part I was telling you about, Toussaint, about the Joker's origin story just being told, we go into the room in this carnival area that is the Joker's room where him and his wife lived for the most part. And this entire room is now upside down like a fun house and, and they're both wife? standing in there. Yes. It, you got to see the movie to
2: it's to got to see the film. <laughs> <Yeah>. anyway.
3: <laughs> Anyways, it was it was mind-blowing to see this kind of thing on screen and see the Joker and Batman have an actual conversation and then fight and then have another conversation and it was just for me like it, I don't source material aside cuz uh, again, yeah. you guys know me, I don't necessarily always care about it especially right. if I haven't read it. Right. Um it was just something for me loving Batman and the Joker that I was just blown away. And and the fact that they actually had a real conversation at the end of this film as people not as characters. Yeah. Yeah. My question, crazy. Would you watch it again? Yes. Okay. I'm i going to buy it on Blu-ray. Okay, cause I want to watch it. Yeah, yeah.
0: I'd like to watch it too. It's like I I think that re- regardless of my relationship to the source material at all, it's like I feel like the the strength of an adaptation is not necessarily in its fidelity um, to the source material, because I just feel like if, if that's the case, then why the hell am I watching this thing? Is like I, I really think, feel like the the strength of the adaptation is how well it demonstrates an understanding of the core appeal of the actual like source and how it actually like, expands upon it in the form of a new medium.
3: Well, so. and I don't. It's it's not giving away that much. I don't feel like. Because we get to the the end of this film and we have Joker having Batman in a vulnerable position Mm -hmm. and him pulling out a gun that he's Mm -hmm. had the entire time to shoot Batman. Mm -hmm. And he seems totally intent on on killing Batman. Yeah, And he pulls the trigger and a little flag comes out that says, bang, bang.
0: Yep. That sounds like Joker. That sounds like... uh... And he,
3: and he, he looks at it, looks at Batman, he looks back at him, throws the gun away and just goes, god damn it. And it was just such a a real scene and you feel like the joker is a real person in that moment mm-hmm. and i don't want to say that it was was great again three and a half out of five didn't say it was a fabulous film but it was for me someone who loves both those characters it was a weird chance to actually see them and and the final moment of this film which i take it is somewhat similar to the to the ending i I won't spoil it because mm-hmm. this has a very interesting and slash ambiguous mm-hmm. ending to the story um I loved it. And, and that's a, a, one of the real reasons why I like this film so much. It's really the last part of it that made me definitely think of this film as something I want to watch again and something I'll keep watching. And it also makes me want to watch the beginning part
1: of it again. So, hmm. what Did I catch something that they thought that something occurred at Comic-Con that they weren't crazy about this? Was there some hubbub? There was some. Oh, there, there cur- was something. Yeah. What was uh, going on there?
3: I don't know every single thing about it. Nick yeah. definitely knows more. I don't know about Tucson, yeah. but the the filmmakers gave it it Was it more of like a
1: fanboy revolt against well, certain no, things? Well, no, but... About, like, the, uh, the, fidelity, or was it... The the
3: filmmakers gave an interview and they They showed to, the movie. They seemed to not be prepared. Let's put yeah. it that
2: way. I'll say this much. As someone who doesn't have it directly in front of my face, so mm-hmm. if I'm misquoting, I apologize. But the summary of what happened at Comic Con, from what I understand, is they showed the movie to a room obviously full of Uber fans. I yes. mean, these are the people that you're that right. were going to go see your movie regardless. But they showed the movie. It ended. um The panel happened, and then the Q and A started. And mm-hmm. it was at the Q and A. Now that says a lot to me. Like it's the fans, not the journalist mm-hmm. panel uh, leading person. And it, it wasn't until a I mean, I think a lot of people were maybe on edge because of certain things that happened. But it wasn't until the Q&A that kind of all hell broke loose. And um, at one point, a person, and I... this should tell tell me he threatened someone. Well, best. almost, but no. But I will say this, and this shouldn't matter, but I have to admit, yeah. have to say it, that at one point, a fan that was uh, cosplaying as the Joker... <laughs> oh, my God! No, 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 Hold on. This is a, hold on. This is a good thing, I think. Yeah. I think it's hilarious. Um asked him uh, asked all the creators I should say straight up <laughs> did, did you ever think like at a, at any point that like the The storyline with uh, the Barbara Gordon, yeah, yeah uh, was in some way sexist or misogynistic because she seems to only be there a to pine over Bruce, and to kind of move his
3: story. I will say pine over Batman. We only yeah, see Batman, Batman as, as Bruce Wayne Correct. in one and they do small they thirty second. Okay, cool. Yes. Just want to make sure.
2: Yep. Cool, and ask that question. Whatever. Mm-hmm. And they were just—I don't think—prepared at all for a negative response. So they were like, first, their response was like, "Well, it's complicated" or whatever. And then, and then he was like, well, and then <laughs> apparently the, the the fan was like, "Well, it's not that complicated." <laughs> apparently, he was motivated by <laughs> sex and something else. Yeah. And then <laughs> I, I can't—I don't know which one yeah. of the screenwriters, but one of them basically said something like, "Oh, you want to repeat that, you pussy."
1: Like Whoa. yeah to the cosplayer stop I'm, and I told Alex So I the said, guy asked a question about misogyny in yeah, response and, with and, that, and I really oh, from
2: from God. from what I read don't think he was attacking he was just yeah. trying to probe so to speak uh, and uh, I think it says a lot that and like a fan at Comic-Con dr- cosplaying as the Joker is just straight up asking you whether your film could be perceived as sexist and they said so, wh- and they call them a pussy. Like uh, I-, I think that might shed some light. Uh, into I'm it. I'm not defend as I said and, earlier. Not and even defending- if you defend the movie, that's totally fine. Uh, not not necessarily defending
3: the movie. Not defending them either. Oh yeah, well that's different. Pe- people yeah. at these kind of festivals, I feel like, are not anticipating any negative questions And I agree
2: ever. with that. No. But I think the fact that they weren't anticipating is even more... Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I've seen... I've been following Comic-Con for years. Mm-hmm. I mean, I specifically at least the TV portion of it. People have asked negative questions before and usually people are pretty civil. I've never heard of a screenwriter calling a... F- Ask that again, pussy. I'll yeah. take my shirt off. Stan
3: Marsh up here. I mean, you know,
2: <laughs> I, I've never quite seen it at that level before. Wow. And I think that might speak to at least what their intentions were. Now... If someone defends a movie, that's different. Art is art, and you can interpret it in yeah, a myriad sure. of different ways. But what happened at Comic Con is certainly uh, up in the air.
3: I will end, end this little talk off and this week and review off with this, and that is that there are some very interesting voice uh, voice work that's done in this that goes away from just Kevin Conroy and also Mark Hamill. Uh, and honestly, I was I was surprised when I read some of the the cast list in here, hmm. uh, and that included Ray Wise as Commissioner Gordon, which I what? was blown away Wait, by. He,
2: has, has he been Commissioner Gordon before?
3: I'm not sure.
2: Oh man, I love Ray Wise.
3: Also, th- this this threw me off way 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 bad and that is uh, the actress her name is Tara Strong yeah now she voices Batgirl she has made a career in in terms of voice work voicing Harley Quinn in previous Batman works which I was blown away by that she decides to voice Batgirl here which is she vexing
4: (laughs) Uh.
3: I'm so excited for Suicide Squad I can't even can't even do it my favorite though absolutely was the 10 second scene for the most part 10 to 30 seconds where batman actually is bruce wayne for a very small part of this film and he's watching film on the joker believe it or not Mm. as bruce wayne and alfred comes up to him and asks if he needs assistance and bruce wayne basically just shrugs him off and alfred's one line pretty much of the movie just is well i'll just leave you alone then and he walks away (laughs) (laughs) It was an amazing part. I laughed. The whole theater pretty much laughed out loud. Because, I mean, I'm not selling it really well, but it was hilarious. No, but it sounds
2: like uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Jonah Hill. Well, I guess I'll just go fuck myself.
3: Yeah, for the (laughs) most part. So, anyways, this Alfred is voiced by Brian George, which sounds like a normal name. But he is the Indian actor who played Babu in Seinfeld. And I... It's so random, so random, so random.
2: Well, I gotta say, (laughs) hooray for diversity! (laughs) But yeah, I was not expecting that. I wasn't either.
3: When I looked up, I'm like, who voiced that weird Alfred?
2: What?
3: (laughs) So yeah, it. We gotta, we gotta all watch it sometime. Not, not it. necessarily if you think it's good or bad. Yeah, it's just, but... it's just a, a film that I think people should check out. It's only an hour and fourteen minutes too, so I can spare that. Even with the thirty minute backroll shit. So there you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Moving on to the film we're actually talking about today, yeah. and that is the um, I, I would say it's definitely a classic in America in in just film in general, and that is Akira Kurosawa's Rashomon, which is just an absolute all-timer. It's right up there uh, in Kurosawa's career. It's right under Seven Samurai, probably. And in my opinion, it's his second best film behind Only Throne of Blood, which I love mainly because it completely features muffoon who's an absolute fucking genius on screen, in my opinion. Uh, if you don't know anything about Rashomon, you should really check it out. It's only an hour and 30 minutes. Also, you're
2: an idiot.
3: <laughs> and also, uh, the, the story is about a heinous crime and its aftermath, being recalled from differing differing viewpoints. Uh, Also something, if you've never seen the poster for this film, it's an absolute all-timer. It's a fabulous work of art, I will say. And if you haven't seen the poster Mm. for it, it's, it's just fantastic. Yeah. I know um, a theater that does a lot of Art House films, which is in Evanston, has an enormous version of this poster up in their theater, and it's awesome. And that's one of my
2: favorite uh, points of the Criterion Collection is if they basically feel that they can't outbeat the original poster, Mm -hmm. they use the original poster, which they did for the Rashomon Blu-ray. And
3: so they should have, because that poster for the film is absolutely phenomenal.
0: It it visually... And it it not only shows, like, like... the starring character, like for for lack of a better terms, like the starring like um, actor, mm. like in, in in his role, but also it it hints at the the actual core um, motif or the or the core appeal of that film, well, which is the yeah. multiplicity of
3: perspective. And and yes, you are you are correct about him being the starring character because even though Mafune is for the most part one of just the three characters in this film, or even four, if you want to go that far. He is Kurosawa's Robert De Niro or Leonardo DiCaprio, mm-hmm. like Scorsese has. Yep. Like, he's the guy who was with him for most, most of his of career. career. He so. was
2: absent during most of the, if not all of the, I think, uh, color period. But mm-hmm. just just right before that, he was... His,
3: his famous works, especially his samurai work early on, You're Going to See yep. a and he's fantastic. Yep. Um, this is a film that me and Nick both
2: viewed... Um, I don't know if you'd seen it before then. I hadn't. I, I hadn't exposed to Kurosawa, but I hadn't watched Rashomon.
3: But we had seen it in a in a Eastern film class we had a few years ago, and um, this is just a film that absolutely blew me away the first time, and seeing it again was an, another just terrific experience. And whoever wants to start it off can. And I, I I find it very hard that we're going to hear a lot of negativity about no. this film. I... <laughs>
2: i think i should start sure yeah if that's okay go ahead um my relationship with kurosawa just to really briefly describe which is that i totally i i love what he does i've only seen three of his films which is rashomon seven samurai and throne of blood probably his three most famous films i think as far as uh mainstream sensibilities (laughs) go uh um, and yet this is also my least favorite of the three. I, and this is a film I really, really enjoy. So that says a lot about his sensibilities. But what I love about him is usually what I don't look for in movies. So that says a lot about what he's able to do with his films. And yet what maybe were my personal tastes and possibly were my opinions that I'll divulge uh, soon uh, uh, sort of branch away from, which is that I think he might be the like the prototypical blockbuster filmmaker. I mean, Rashomon, Throne of Black, especially, shall we say, uh, Seven Samurai, are like the epitome of blockbuster filmmaking. Just just amazing... direction uh, assigned to shall we say pretty straightforward story how about how about ahead of its time special effects that's the other thing i mean practical effects but also wonderful tracking shots and such to capture it all mm -hmm. um but i i will admit i'm gonna start with a negative first before i just start praising rashomon which Mm -hmm. i genuinely do think is a great film okay so Rashomon has always been touted as a classic, and I can understand why. I, I, I watched it originally in the class um, that me and Alex were in, and I did very much enjoy it. I think the way that it is praised, or shall we say celebrated, is not the exact way that I enjoy it,
0: but I still enjoy it. All classics in some form uh, go on to become overrated, simply yeah. for the fact of it's not a it, it, it's not an, a, an actual detriment to... The the text itself but rather a – an overly infusive estimation of the the text by its critics and by its appreciators.
2: For sure. I mean I think this movie is – extremely entertaining and that's obviously a lot of the times the bare minimum for any movie i want to just enjoy so on on that level it succeeds my only hesitation and i don't know how much we'll get into this later but is that the the main themes that it does try to tackle i do find it overly blunt and or too simplistic uh Hmm. The the shall we say search for truth is a little silly to me in this movie. I I appreciate what is doing considering the fact that I can't imagine another filmmaker trying to do what Kurosawa was doing that uh, at that, that yeah. time period. No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like it it is absolutely both uh, uh, before his time and yet also extremely progressive in that nature so i appreciate that but because it is 2016 and i'm a millennial i guess <laughs> i i watch this and i sometimes don't always agree with uh Kura in my opinion too uh too i don't know trunctuated view of a multifaceted truth i i totally get that uh, there is no such thing as uh, a subjective person spouting off objective truth. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not disagreeing with the main thesis of the movie, which right. is why the movie still works uh, mm-hmm. in 2016. But there is something about the differences between the four main stories that don't quite sit right with me as a modern viewer that I can fully just go, oh my God, this, for me personally, this is so nuanced and so complex.
0: It stretches the. Um... The boundaries of plausibility. Yeah. Yeah. It,
1: but would can, it be stretching it given the, the context of when it was? So what are we talking about? Like ninth century Japan a, or it's a, a, that's a the other thing. It was. Like thing. that be a 1950 the, film the,
2: about what? 19... Like, that's the so of tools of And, and
3: uh, you, you basically of a juror bit yeah. for a most part either... a you can say is completely absent from view because I'm not saying juror, a judge who's completely absent from view and almost gives off this, this weird. And I don't know why I always go back to this because both times I've seen, I felt this way. It felt it feels like an adult on the Peanuts series, yeah. where it's 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 well, so it's, bizarre. It's
2: not even that, at least for my interpretation. It's clearly Kurosawa is trying to place the audience. <laughs> I in... need a
0: I need a, a Peanuts <laughs> episode of Russia.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> but, I mean, clearly, what Kurosawa is trying to do is place the audience in the in the driver's seat, mm-hmm. so to speak, mm-hmm. and and especially in those wonderful shots. I mean, when when even just the shots of the people giving their testimony before it cuts to their stories are just great. I love the way that in the background the um, the characters start to kind of pile up, so to speak, in the line where they, you know another one gets added and that starts to weigh heavily on the background of what we're seeing. How,
3: how about uh, characters who are supposed to be giving their
2: testimony watching other characters giving their yep. testimony? Yeah. No, and, th- <laughs> and that's great. So that's yeah. why I genuinely do really, really enjoy this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I just have certain re- reservations about the four stories and the way they interact, which we'll talk about later. And I'll uh, say one more thing before I pass it off, which is the only other reservation I have is the framework of this story. The, the, um, the The whole story that takes place within the the temple that it's raining upon, in which the priest tells the uh, and the other the the woodcutter tells the story to the the straggler, and I love a lot of things about that story. I love the way it's shot. I mean, I think that's actually honestly the the shot of the rain on that temple is probably like I would watch an entire movie set in that temple, which. I know it's just a cliche for me at this point. No, but, but it's actually
0: a really beautiful setting.
2: Yeah, and I, I would totally—I'm all over that. But the the, the things that are spoken in that movie don't quite uh, are a little too melodramatic for me. And I say that a as little someone, too nihilistic. No, not nihilistic. I would say melodramatic because we have a priest who essentially introduces the story to the the straggler and the way and I I know sometimes things can get lost in translation Mm -hmm. as far as like what um, but I have to say Criterion Collection and that's the edition that I watched and I know at least Alex and Toussaint watched because I showed it to them Mm -hmm. and I believe Toussaint when you rewatched it did you watch your Criterion? Yes I did. Yes. So and Criterion is usually like they spot on with some of their usually like their special features. One of the special features they always boast is a new translation, because you can always, no matter what year, you re-release a movie, fine-tune that sort of thing. Um, So I don't know that there's too much loss in translation, but the the whole thing about the priest... Talking to the straggler about how somehow this story is the story that's going to make him lose faith in 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 all of humanity. It's just a little too much compared to the story that we uh, get. Yeah. Okay. I, that that that's my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. So I want to obviously pass it off to everybody else and 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 see what you guys have to say. But that that's what I'll kick it off. Okay. With
3: at well, least. let's move on to the song. That yeah. sounds uh sounds like a good idea because Nick's taking up a lot of time. No, so. it's okay. <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> I'm being a dick. Sorry.
0: Uh, Akira Kurosawa is. I, I have to be honest, like he's one of those directors that I've always known simply through reputation. Because unfortunately, like Rashomon was one of the first films that I I, I learned about him. But here's the thing: I learned I learned about that film when I was in high school during a film class. But instead of watching Rashomon, we decided to watch fucking uh, Vantage Point. Um, yeah, my my film my. That class was filled with a just bunch of... Just
3: replace him with Dennis Quaid. It's the same yeah, thing. That, that, I mean, I will that,
2: admit, yeah. just to at least yeah. jump on what you're saying, yeah. Rashomon certainly did create what we know as the, the, the Rashomon Effect, Yeah, the, and a lot of pop culture uses it, but Vantage Point is awful. But there have been a lot of yeah. great TV episodes that use the Rashomon Effect sure. that uh, use it to great benefit, but mm-hmm. Vantage Point, oh, God.
0: Yeah, that... That whole class was fucking stupid. The only thing I took away from it was that I got to watch um the uncut version of the exorcist and I got to watch Memento for the first time. So oh. at least so at least those those two good so you, things happened. Off. Yeah. Um so after finally watching this film, like I I've, I've had the uh, the Criterion for a while, and I finally just like sat down and watched it and I honestly got this this film is um I, I I honestly feel that this this is one of the 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 greatest films of all time. I I I honestly gotta feel that way. Um, I think that aesthetically it is it is beautiful. I think that the framework for the shots, like just how they're framed, is just like so. They, they, I, I wish I could I, – I would periodically just pause the film just so I could like look at these films and look how the actual characters are blocked in relation to it. That's another thing that I, I really want to talk about is that I love the blocking of characters in this because there's seldom like – in the recollection of all these different stories, like there's seldom a shot where there aren't multiple characters on screen or they're not overlapping in some way, especially when you have like the woodcutter, the priest, and straggler like, that we're now calling him. Like they're, they're sort of just like – they're they're sort of like in a, in a triangle sort sort of formation yeah. where they're just kind of like either hunched over one another or just like 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 somehow they're overlapping one another and they're just like like talking like back and forth back and forth. This film is just so. I I I, I took note of a couple of of quotes that I I really just enjoyed about this, um, mostly because like. I mean, this film is very much a, a product of its time, and I'm not saying that as a as an indictment of it, but I'm just saying that like it's it's much more on its face about what it's trying to talk about. It's it's not trying to mire its actual message under a bunch of like pretense and subtext and other shit like that. It's like it says it's human to lie even to ourselves, and the straggler being like, I don't care if it's a lie as long as it's entertaining. That kind of just yeah. that that that, 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 that
3: is. That is fucking 2016 in a nutshell.
0: Yeah, Ugh. yeah. I, I thought
2: about screencapping that. Make America great and, again. Yeah.
0: Oh boy. Um, <laughs> but but I I just I, I I absolutely love love this film. I I I one of my favorite parts about this film is that I feel like these these four stories in a lot of ways either they they mutually just. Exclude one another, and that there's no way that they could sustain one another. But there are select portions that I see that overlap, particularly in the case of like the the supposed innocence of the maiden or how her her role like fits into that. That I feel like, like at least the 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 uh, the woodcutter, the the samurai as 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 told through the medium, which is just another thing. It's like it's all about the the the, the subjectivity of like truth and perception, and it's even more fucked up because it's. It crosses another line like not only through testimony of like – Dimension and of, – of, 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 of dimension of just like physical people like actually acting as as primary um, witnesses to this account. But it's also filtering it through the the other dimension of spirituality, which even then we can't even rely on. It's like, what can we fucking rely on outside of our own perception if we can't even rely – if we can't rely on our physical perception, if we can't even rely on supposed divine intervention or anything, then we're just like wandering around this aimless universe of of unmoored from any type of meaning. It it, it goes from a mystery into sort of – it's a mystery in a puzzle box that then turns into sort of like this not existential horror but a horror of perception.
3: How about as an audience, we are – always getting second hand information from second hand information. Like yes. we are getting the third it's it's gone through the filter many a times. It's already been heard by a judge and now it's being heard by us through another person like yeah. it, it 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 is hitting so many of testimony. Right. And, but- and it, it's 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 and the the way stories change from person to person, depending on who telling it and then who is telling it from that point on? It's just – And for what an,
0: reason are they telling that it's, story? It's
3: an incredible showing of what humanity is, especially in an era where there is no telephones. There is no internet. There is nothing – all you have is the spoken word really that is coming for people. And honestly, you have to take what they're taking at face value because there's there's not any forensic evidence. That, like if this person says they murdered him and you believe him – death yeah. like it's it's crazy
1: i i watched this movie twice within 24 hours and so i watched the first time through and actually my son watched it with me last oh wow night. so yeah we watched it like so it was you know the attack you know was oh, like dad why is he so upset i'm like well you know, so, <laughs> well people don't like getting attacked, son. so um so i don't i think I don't know if. And then the second time I watched it was I, I put the commentary on, which is the, and the. And this is the criterion, and there was the guy who who went through and was, you know, it felt like class. You know, The like, film scholars uh, they get for criterion commentaries oh, are always able to. So they do not rich. fuck around. It was so. I mean, he just. It was just a nonstop stream of brilliance the whole time through. And I think this is one of the things that I. I don't think I, would, I came up with this, but I, I, I scribbled this down. Um, and um, and what was it? this was in the context of the priest's version of what was going on. And what was curious about that is that in the priest's version of this, there really was no um, consummation or actual physical rape in his rendering of, of what actually happened. And, and his his discussion of that is that he said that all of these characters, in, in it, which is actually true for actually anything – us what's going on in the in the movie is that it's a projection of the truth that we want to see and so and that is troubling you know because that, that we we know that we're already going to be crimped with coming to any clear uh, resolution of what actually happened, and that doesn't matter you know, throughout any of these uh, vignettes that occur. But what Nick, what you said, uh, and uh, I'd be curious to hear from everyone else, is that um, you you call it the Rashomon effect, right? So, yep. and you know, sometimes things feel like faded. You know, they happen. And so, like I, just last week, my son's like, "Dad, let's just start watching uh, some more X Files." I was like, "Okay, cool." Yeah. And then we watched an episode of the X Files, and then we watched this movie. And I'm like. Yep, that's where they got it from. It was the scene where Scully and Mulder, they're investigating the vampire in Texas or something like that. Yep. Scully tells her version, Mulder tells that's his. It. And, and I know
2: they uh, did Josie Chung from Outer Space, because that was a literal Rashomon episode. But Maybe, or, maybe okay. and that was just yeah. the one that I know oh, of. Yeah. But, where, but it's the same but it thing. Is a like, we're just going to
1: go through that. Yep. But what I I find to be so... And I, I again, I'm not, I'm not a historian of film to know this, but what... I might perceive of what this film did was to liberate certain narrative freedoms that cannot be done in any other medium, which would be watching the same thing over. Again, you can't do that in a book. You can't reread a scene and like just there be a nuance. Visually, it can happen and right. be... Absolutely arresting on every level, and, and what they did here.
3: Also, yeah. as, a, as a viewer of a film, if you are reading a book and you read the same scene multiple times, you could have a, even a different setting, even if mm-hmm. in the same place. You cannot change the fact that it's the same characters in the same outfits in the same exact setting, yep. but they change the way that their actions
1: happen. It's just yeah, it's, right. it's, it's something. So, uh, yeah. So to your point though, so what are these nuances in each one of these? So I believe this is in the bandits. I'm going to butcher his name. Taju. I'm trying to remember his name. The bandit Umbufune. No, he's None talking the, about the character. The name. character. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. My bad. Yeah, and um, like so, his version of this. You remember how he kept on like pushing on the mosquito bites, all that stuff. <laughs> so I mean, I mean, that was you know, but that. His version is that he's somehow like some kind of super player. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah, so, pretty much uh, true. It was, it was yeah. uh, wow. That was that was amazing. So yeah, you, I I I just I, it's I don't know that. People could have conceived of what you could do from a compositional or uh, standpoint with film prior to this, and I just don't know enough about how anyone could have have done what they did uh, with that, um, and how, as you said, the the, the Rashomon effect. I, I think it's it's made for some great, great. Um, uh, uh, film since. From what I understand, not just the Rashomon effect is
2: something that's a trope in film and television, but is literally something that's taught in, like, Police academies, uh, hmm. so to speak, I, not to be confused with the uh, uh, Steve Gutenberg <laughs> series. <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> Stop but ripping
3: on Police Academy, alright? Yeah, no, I'm just
2: trying to say it's a real thing and not just a, <laughs> a, a parodic element, but it's an actual thing that they teach to every police officer in the sense that eyewitness t- testimony is essentially both bullshit and yet just only a piece of the puzzle. Like, Mm -hmm. it it doesn't tell you everything, even if they say they saw everything. That's why they need that semen, man. They have to
3: have the evidence. So true. (laughs) So... I mean, um, I need to catch up on it, but we were watching uh, the HBO series uh, The The Night Night Of, Of, which is definitely borrowing things from Rashomon as you're getting different perspectives and you're getting different people... Doing things in a different way, and all of a sudden you're at the point you've arrived at, and it's just like fuck. When when you're the person who knows everything, exactly, even though the viewer doesn't know everything, but uh, that's the crazy thing about it is you know all these different things that have happened, and you're like, what the fuck? No one's no one's got their shit together. Rashomon
2: (laughs) in the year 1950 said an ugly truth, which is the idea that that no system of law and order should be condensed to any, uh, shall we say, um, condensation of subjective truth. Like, Mm -hmm. the idea that that is the basis of of a case that any lawyer can make is almost insane.
1: Just to echo your point, I mean, how true that is in application of today. I mean, they've done studies of sentencing of criminals which is sometimes the sentencing is lighter uh, at the beginning of the day when like the judge and the people are paying attention but as things get later in the day and they get hangry all of a sudden like screw this guy how, this is, how, go? how, how about a popular trope powerful. on on
3: television in in court case television mm-hmm. of when someone finds out who their judge is gonna be and goes oh fuck like yeah. that and and that's I mean that, that
2: is it's a popular trope, and yet you also have to admit that that's probably a, I would say a slightly realistic feeling, which is what I'm saying, yeah,
3: like it that, it it is horrifying yeah. that you could get stuck with Danny Glover as your judge and be like, oh, fuck, yeah oh, I mean, no. I watched
2: <laughs> uh, a few seasons of uh, CBS's The Good Wife, which is the law and order so to speak uh, procedural, but that was a great show and and shall we say exploring the idea of the the subjective versus objective truth which is that it is just as important to figure out who is going to be carrying the sentence uh, the sentence, just as it is into how you portray that sentence. Like mm-hmm. that's a two-way uh, mm-hmm. street and conversation and those two things are often I, I don't know. So yeah, I, I forgot what I was going to say.
3: But, that's okay. Yeah. Do you guys mind if I make no. of course, yeah. Yeah, my please quick please thoughts here it. Go for it. Yeah. really quickly? Yeah. Um, this film, starting off, was was the first Kurosawa film that I got to see, and after that, I, I you know, obviously wanted to see more Kurosawa films. Specifically, I want to see more Mifune films because I love him as as an actor. That's great. Uh, he basically was typecast as this same character, and it is fucking terrific every single time, in my opinion. You have this guy who has this very on-edge, ridiculous style. And it it shouldn't be as entertaining or as ridiculous as it is, but you have him basically playing the same character as a hero in Seven Samurai, and it is so... It, it's just hard to comprehend how that could work, and it, and, it, and it does.
2: In Seven Samurai, he's more of like a drunken hero. like a, He's kind of, but certainly not as He's doing the same evil. kind of things, though, in terms oh, yeah. of his actual physical acting. I was going to say, he's the same, he, he gives the same performance practically yeah. across the board. But and,
3: and you have him in Throne of Blood, where he's c- completely
2: unhinged
3: throughout yeah. the entire film. And then we have that absolutely fantastic final scene where he gets shot in the neck with about 3,000 arrows. <laughs> and it is just out of control, ridiculous and it's amazing Um, and he he as a performer was just so fantastic through this whole series as i mentioned he became kurosawa's Niro. he stuck with him through many of these films and his character in this film is is just something that, that that really speaks to me as a character in a film like this because we have this guy who honestly, if you were on a jury, you would be like, oh, here's this crazy guy. I'm not going to believe any fucking thing he says. And he's the one who's on trial here. Like, he's the one who, for the most part, people are thinking, oh, he's guilty. They've already made up their mind. Which brings us to the the part of the film that I absolutely just adore about this particular movie, which is the idea of the the one-person judge, the one person who's deciding this entire story... Which, for the most part, can be linked back to the audience. Like, the audience is always deciding what is happening yes. in any sort of film, no matter what kind of film it is. They're making decisions on their own. And it, it's, it's, it's an incredible thing that we can have a story about multiple stories happening and, and telling different perspectives. And we have the audience playing both a judge and both themselves, an audience member. And it's just a crazy mirror of that, and 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 something that that gets into this being an actual story about about filmmaking and about telling a, a story in in different ways, and how to play with the audience in a way um, that in 1950, in 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 a culture where. Uh, Let's let's just be honest with it. Like America was not exposed to this kind of film in the 1950s, at least uh, in, in this way. And we had Kurosawa doing things both with story and also with actual like things he was doing on film, like that incredible. And although it's an extremely boring scene, that incredible actual tracking shot that only goes for like 30 seconds, but it's actually on a physical track moving through the forest. Oh, did you watch the?
1: That Miyagawa, he was the cinematographer. They actually showed like the 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 map of how they did, yeah, so they yeah like the, the track eight, yeah, the figure. I was like, it's awesome, yeah. and yeah. It, it, it's just those things that make you watch this and, and make me
3: feel like Kurosawa is is a trailblazer, like someone like Alfred Hitchcock, who's yeah. who's Indeed. putting putting things and trying things that just laid the groundwork for how to make
1: films. Right. Absolutely, for sure, yeah. absolutely,
3: and it. I, I don't honestly have much more to say to start off with other than what you guys have said because I, I don't absolutely love this film like I give it a really good rating but it's not like an all-time classic for me but I could sit down and watch this film any day of the week like it's a fantastic film and it's one of those movies that I honestly if if someone said they hated it I would have to have a discussion with them and find out why they hated it because yeah. I, maybe I, they I, remembered
2: I think, it differently
3: well I, <laughs> <laughs> like 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 it's it's a film that Just I would I, I would want to find out what what they have to say and honestly like we would have to talk about it like yeah. it's not one of those movies where like us with the neon demon where anyone who said I hated it or I loved it or like, an Man. idiot All right like, 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 whatever. Like, if if you hate it, you love right, it, right, it, yeah. it. It is what it is. You could see both sides. Like, yeah. I, I cannot see someone watching this and going, well, oh, shit." Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's like uh, sure.
1: chocolate chip cookies. Like, I don't know about this. Like, I mean, yeah. there's no, there's no middle ground on this. Like, you fall on like one stand. I, I absolutely agree. And part of my excitement of being of, of this movie is like my first filter of most things when I watch things. Like, can I use this for class? And this is like one of those things where. Um, and I, I mean that in a way like not can I just like, pop in a video and you know snooze you know like I mean like is there something that there is where you can find technique a grammar of 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 effect you know and this and this is I, I'm excited like this yeah. is like a whole new um, I, I mean I, whether or not I show the whole film but I I don't know how you show even parts of this because right. and I don't even know how you even show it once I mean like I I, I have, have to but it just it's there's just it's about as rich of a cinematic experience I've, I've had in a very long time, and 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 I don't know if that I'm projecting things because like, well, this came out in the 1950s; it's so ahead of its time. But I think it's that that might be part of it. But it, it's it's what it deals with in that just squishiness of truth is such a fun way in which how the camera the characters all that stuff augments that whole experience
3: it's also pretty incredible watching this film in 2016 knowing where we are in culture where fucking johnny manzel shows up in las vegas wearing a cowboy hat and he's on fucking twitter Mm -hmm. with his photo four minutes later because some asshole was like fuck that's johnny manzel yeah like The physical evidence, whether it be real or not, is going to eventually be there and Mm -hmm. someone's going to find you in, in that way. Where here, it's like, oh... I saw her, and I saw her hat. So I think she got raped. Like mm-hmm. it's it's, <laughs> yeah. it's it's it, it, it's it's circumstantial evidence right here. Is if, just if it's the, crazy. If
0: the maiden had given any other story, like she would have been exonerated. But it seems like she implicates herself. So why would she do that? And then you have like overlap between the between Mafune's character T- Tajumuse. And the actual samurai who dies, like it feels like they're cooperating with one another. So why would they do that? It's just so maddening. And I and I feel like there there were like at least three concepts that I I I sort of remembered while I was watching this, and it was like the the concept of solipsism, especially because like we we see we see the the initial like 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 radius of the actual event, like like the samurai is killed, these objects are left behind. A lot of those objects are never actually explained. Really, is like they're just sort of like strewn about. Like from the the first scene with the woodcutter, like it's shown when the woodcutter like is going and and he finds all the stuff and he finds the dead body. Um, what, what I what always like scratched uh, the the back of my mind was the fact that at the end of all these scenes, like the two characters are either like carried off, like they they just go go off together. Or they just like head off in separate directions, and it never is explained beyond that initial um, observation. Like, how did they get to the respective places that they were actually found? Like, what happened? Like, this is like the 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 the, the Watergate Nixon tapes. Like, what the fuck happened to those eighteen minutes? I have no idea what the fuck's going on. Um, and it just sort of reminded me of the the philosophical idea of solipsism, mm-hmm. which is the view or theory that the self is all that can be known to exist. Which kind of like ties into the developmental psychology thing of just like object permeance, where like children, like when when they're first born, is like it, it's the whole principle behind peekaboo. Like they mm-hmm. they haven't like developed this this this. This object permeates where they can actually say that it's like, okay, this thing exists distinct of myself and that it actually exists on its own regardless of my perception of it. Yeah. And it's just like like if a tree falls in the woods, like did it did it really happen? Did it really make a sound? Did it even matter? Like only what, to
1: the tree it mattered, right? If the only to the conscious. tree it mattered. And
0: then, and then I thought about another like perceptual like hang-up where it's like technically like there is a 15-second lag between like what we see – with our eye and what is actually happening, because like it, it's 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 like like sight is impossible without light and light refracting back into our our actual minds is like there has to be some type of lag, otherwise we would just have a psychedelic trip.
3: The dream where, is collapsing. Well, oh. we have a we, we have
0: a, a psychedelic trip where we're just like seeing things that are moving both. In the
2: present, in the past tense, it's, it's fucking nuts. It's funny you talk about light, considering that's like a huge thing in this movie. Yeah, uh, when we're, we're introduced to the the s- story, especially the framework of the temple, it's raining, so the light is clouded, so to speak. And because you have two characters that are just don't know what to make of what has obviously transpired, but all of the uh, shall we say subjective testimony takes place in the stark sunlight. And I even read up on the fact that. Kurosawa wanted uh, direct uh, capture within the camera of sunlight, but because he couldn't do that with his own camera, he had to reflect it off of mirrors and such.
1: Yeah, they they took mirrors off of uh, they took it from the the, the prop room, yep. it, and they were just kind of reflecting yep. there. Yeah. And the really the fact that he
2: did that, I think, is certainly touching on what you're saying, Toussaint which is the idea that like to thine own self, so to speak, like th- this truth is objective. Uh, and... <laughs> And to, to think that, at least, not to know that. But, but can we to, rely on that? Exactly. And the idea that when when you spout off this testimony, that it is as clear as day. I mean, that's why I do genuinely love this movie, even if I have problems with it, is that it is certainly, shall we say, backed up by its aesthetics, which I'm normally not a visual person in the sense that, like, I'm always <laughs> story first, visual later. Mm. It can be the ugliest movie ever, uh, and yet if it's got a decent story or at least decent dialogue i'm 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 on board but uh because this movie's visuals I would say make up for some of the shortcomings, in my opinion, of this movie's uh, thematic material. I and That's why I'm personally on board. And Kurosawa was always a master of that. I mean, what he puts into his frame, is completely not just deliberate, but also uh, emphatic.
3: How about the scale that Kurosawa... I mean, we see it more in Seven Samurai and Throne yeah, Blood, but, but, but even, in here even too, like the, these, the, the way that he uses the camera and the frame is just yeah. always just... Above and beyond, like the way, I said, what,
0: uh, the, the the way these fight scenes that actually like play out between the samurai and and Mifune's character, characters, like
1: these are fucking dope. I was
2: gonna say, well, and not only that, but also if you compare the fight scenes because we see the yes. fight scene in certain, uh, obviously between differing perspectives. Mm-hmm. But I love that the that the fight scene. I think that ensues uh, from the woodcutter's perspective. Yes. Yeah is so pathetic. Oh, Oh, it's like they live. It's it's incredible.
3: (laughs) It's an incredible scene because they honestly look like they look like the two guys who were forced to fight with pool cues yep. in The Dark Knight. Yep. Like it's like, oh, I don't want to. They both yeah. just god. got dragged yeah.
0: about their manhood.
3: Oh my
4: yeah. god! And, and I'm just and, like, well, I guess yeah. I have to fight now, and, <laughs> right? And,
2: and Mifune's bandit character, I feel like he he only wins because of like luck, right? Like he only wins because of um, I can't remember exactly what happens, but it, yeah. it's it's only because of uh, like a stroke of like he, he got his,
1: did he not get his his sword stuck in the wood somehow? I, yes. Yeah, something yeah. like that. But
2: it's not so much that any yeah. one of them was a better fighter, but because of uh the, shall we say nature took its course, mm-hmm. which I think is also another uh example of what this movie is trying to say, which
1: is that it's it's not the person, it's just what it's the objective truth of what and, happened. but remember like in his testimony, like part of him was just saying, like, but you know we had twenty three different you know like attacks on each usually other, usually they also... only get to twenty yeah exactly yeah. so I mean, yeah. so his version of it, and and you could that's what I love about it is that. that it actually was a, kind of a genuine, well choreographed fight scene. The yeah. first one, like, all right, this one holds up. Yeah. But you're right. Like, it's funny because I think just prior to me watching the movie last night, my son's like, Dad, Lena, let's take the lightsabers out and just kind of, you know. Just kind of, and it yeah. was as pathetic as what we were doing back and forth as what that last scene was. It was just it was like, bang, bang, bang. It was so bad. And you're yeah. watching this, like, ah, this is so brilliant. In the Criterion. Uh, commentary one of the things that they said there's that kurosawa was he's like people don't get violence like and it's pathetic everyone has this vision it's like john rambo like oh i just took a bullet in my thigh no that's, this that's cinematography like, yeah. that's framing <laughs> yeah and he's like that like he said like violence is in the real world is sloppy it's stupid and and he wanted to kind of expose it to that extent it's man-made was, just like truth
4: yeah yeah.
1: Oof. How about
3: the incredible line that cut me both times I saw this film? That when you hear uh, it dropped, it's just like, like it slaps me in the face watching this. And that is the line of the the samurai saying, uh, I believe in in the second version. You've been with too bad. Why don't you just go kill yourself? Oh my
1: god! <laughs> I was just no. like, are you fucking
4: kidding Hold me? On.
2: Hold on, uh-huh. let's just dissect. So this is the the uh, it's the what, wife's. It's her version story, but right? it's the samurai who's the
3: one no, no, no. who says right. it, right? But
2: it's, but it's her perspective, yes. Yeah.
3: But but it's one of those things where you hear that, like just physically hearing that in a movie just slaps me in the face. And then Mifune's is just like, Ugh, don't touch
1: me! You've been with two men. You fucking raped her! You <laughs> piece of shit!"
4: Yeah. What the fuck? It's just, just oh, yeah. it, I,
1: I would argue like, it, it, and this is one of the one that I, I put down, which is like in that fourth, it, the, the woodcutter, you know, he's finally. It's like to me the brilliance of that scene. I was really excited to watch again. Is that your your response as a viewer? It felt like it was a hot potato of anger, which is like, okay, I'm pissed at the rapist. Oh wait, now the husband's a dick, and then you go to her, but then. The, the the husband's reasons for like shooing her away. It's like asshole. The only reason we're in the situation is because of your greed that you went to go chase where those swords were. So the fact that she, you left her isolated and put yourself in exposed was because of your own uh, greed that put her in the position to begin with. So now you're no, blaming Brian. her. For- no, you you you
0: have to understand. <laughs> she should have she should have either killed herself or used her vagina dentata.
2: Whoa, whoa, whoa! Uh, Wait, not, where did you get one of those? Not all men would leave. Oh, oh. I, you know, I have to ask you, you all three of you a question. And <laughs> we're all going to give you a different answer. Ah, <laughs> you son of a bitch! Oh man, um, <laughs> which is that when you watch this movie, uh, do, is there is there when you watch this movie, do you have one of two reactions? Which is that do you watch the movie, the movie ends, and then you you shall we say, think that none of these stories are true? Or do you watch this movie and you think that one of them is true? And if so, which one? I'm curious before Um, I get my own answer. If I can say this, I
3: will say that I usually think that there are some parts of every story that are probably true. But uh, if there has to be one that I kind of usually tend to agree with it would be the story where they are the two men are struggling to fight with each other because that's be the woodcutters yes. yes it, it would seem to mo- be the most most plausible pathetic and plausible uh, but at the same time like I just said I feel like there is probably truth to every story it's just all all of them have been just Destroyed with mm-hmm. um, personal
2: beliefs. Brian, uh, do you have a particular? I'm just curious. Well,
1: I, you know, I and I, I side with uh, Alex. What you were saying, um, but the only thing that that you kind of taints that is that. Uh, the, in the the, the the reviewer in the criterion he, you know he was saying he was like but there 's a moment where it goes into parody and farce in in the woodcutters where she starts laughing too much and it then goes into a fourth gear of absurdity, which would be perhaps the psychological rationalization that he had to create in order to justify pulling this, the knife the dagger out yeah. is that he just had to make like well this was such a hot mess. I, I, I can take this and and then feel good about liquefying the assets to feed my family, mm. right? So That makes sense. Yeah. Tucson? Yeah. I
0: think that, um, I echo Alex's sentiment that I feel like there is, there are portions of truth strewn about between all four of these different testimonies, but ultimately I think that none of them are true, and it's also part of the fact of why I absolutely love the ending, and it just kind of like tears into me, and that's another thing that I I really want to ask you guys about this ending. Is like, Wha- do you do you think that the ending to to Rashomon, where they find the baby and the the woodcutter like takes the baby from the priest and adopts it, and it's just like, do you think that that is ultimately an uplifting thing, or do you think that that is a a, a an almost fatalistic sort of depressing uh, ending? Because can I tell you like my opinion of that? Because
3: I think True. that. As if you weren't going to. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> it's,
0: it's, it's, it's just like I, I I, I see them just like tearing each other apart and and the priest – like the the woodcutter tries to reach for the baby and the and the the priest just kind of is like, what, you want to take his innocence too? And it's like – and the woodcutter is just trying to defend against it and he's like, you know, I've got six kids. Like it wouldn't matter if I had another mouth to feed and I'm just like – and and it almost seems like the priest is all too willing to give the child to him simply for the fact of just like how could I not have like believed that you were such a good person and just like thank you is like you helped me to believe that there is actually good in the world and and then it that, that just dovetails not only to out of the subjectivity of perception but also in the reality of whether or not there is such a thing as total absolute like selfless altruism and it's like i i I feel like ultimately the the woodcutter took the child and the the priest acquiesced and gave the child is because they needed to have something to believe in after they've been thrown into this this existential just like maelstrom where they have nothing to, to to hold on to other than this child whose life they're trying to at least nurture that 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 at least nurture a child, at least they can, they can agree on that, that being a good thing. But it's just like, why are you doing that? It's like, and ultimately I think that not, not espousing fucking Randy and objectivism or anything like that. I feel like the, the answer to that, to to that rhetorical question for myself is just that there's one thing that, that selfishness and selflessness like share in common. And is that a common prefix, which is the self and that Mm -hmm. it ultimately comes out of like, an understanding of that this is that I that you exist as a person apart from the world and that you are interacting to it and that you are taking something from it. It's like whether or not you you weigh that in, whether you weigh that in is like you 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 gain a feeling of feeling like I've given something back to the world, even though it did not necessarily reverberate back to me directly, or whether it plays into. Um, your own personal gratification or survival. It's just like it's its a really murky um, spectrum between the
1: two. I think there are some problematic symbols that in the film that may contradict that, which is on the one end mm-hmm. is that um, it stops raining, sun yeah. comes out, and mm-hmm. so is that meant to crystallize a type of optimism that indeed he has redeemed himself with this act? Mm. I will say, though, the fact, though, that it's set where this is occurring, uh, two things with that, is that um, it's, a, it's, it's not just a normal rain. It's a torrential rain that not only obfuscates view, it mud it, it's mud. I mean, this is filth, you know, and so that's all there. But well, what's curious is that the one thing that I thought is that in part of illuminating this, they had to, as they're telling stories, they... Tore wood from the edifice of what was a broken temple, I believe, where they're at. Mm-hmm. So think about it: like a temple is your is religion, and this is meant to be something. Religion is what keeps you honest. Religion, is, in theory, is supposed yeah. to what is going to bring you closer to that type of objective truth that we think that is. <laughs> the, going to pre- the priest us. is like, I and can't live in the yeah, world if I believe yeah. that and so not, are it's are entirely bro- evil. It's broken when we get there, and they continue to tear this thing down. Right. So all of that, but to get back to the priest to your idea of selfishness. If we're going to only confront his decision to let go of the child, that is a selfish act because only by him having control of the child, will he know that the child will be okay? So he has let go of this child to, to, to go to this unknown quantity so that he can then therefore keep on being a priest or whatever that he does, but he can only be positive of the well being of this child if he continues to have control of it. And so is that selfish or is does he know his limits and therefore is just taking a chance. I mean it's just it's a thought experience. Right, yeah. yeah. So really quickly, I want to get Nick's feelings on the question he gave
3: because you weren't you didn't give a chance to give your feelings on yeah. it about if you which story necessarily you agree with or if you think that you can't agree with any of them.
2: Which is my answer is that out of all four of us two of you because two said that you didn't technically lean toward any one of the foreign stories, One of the four stories, right? So I'm with you too, which is that I believe the woodcutter's story is the closest we come to some kind of objective truth. Mm -hmm. And I ultimately, that's what I brought up earlier. I ultimately think that that's the the biggest weakness of this movie is that it never gives a reason or justification enough to think that the woodcutter's story is anything other than... uh, obscured by the fact that yes he omitted that he took the dagger but other than that we're not quite given because we're given a he's a third party essentially Mm -hmm. uh, we're never quite given a reason to think that he's not closest to the truth so if a movie is designed to explore the basis of subjective truth i i feel like his story is ultimately undercutting Aha! Because he's a. Uh, wood, wood. Uh, You're so, and that so easy. He doesn't even
4: try anymore. <laughs> it just, it just, it's, it's just, just him.
2: <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I just think that it, it ultimately undermines the subjective battle that comes before as to who's telling the truth. And to go off of what Toussaint is now bringing up, which is the idea of altruism, that is the other point against this movie that I'll make. And other than that, I think this is a great movie. Mm. But the idea that even the characters that uh, surround the framework of this movie and, so to speak, uh, give light to the testimony and and, and bring the story to light, um, even they cannot discuss the story in a subjective, objective framework, but instead reduce it and, I would say, condense it into a – to a battle of good versus evil. And because it ends up being that, at least through the thesis of this movie, I also think that dilutes it too. um, Because... I at least when I first watched this, and the second time I watched it as well, like when you first start watching this, and especially everything you hear about Rashomon, you don't think that you're watching a movie about the nature of humanity versus you know good versus evil. You think that you're watching uh, a a movie all about the. Uh, th- I would think the reality versus disillusionment of the self-serving, you know, individual. But by the end of it, because of the what I call baby ex machina uh, trope, uh, we, we end up getting <laughs> baby from the machine. Yeah, it, we we end up getting something that ultimately Kurosawa sways away from any I would say nuanced take on objectivity and subjectivity. Now, it certainly was progressive, and certainly was. Uh, uh, Interesting and and wonderful for the time period, so to speak, but uh, doesn't quite hold up in in that class, so to speak.
3: So. Why don't you uh, go ahead and go into your rating? Now you're, you're you're on on a
2: roll here, Nick. Because of that, I would give it a three and a half out of five. I mean, I I absolutely enjoy this movie, and I think Kurosawa is a master of the medium of film. I I think he's better at creating epics than he is at at, at intimates. But even this, I I absolutely eat up, and I love to to watch it anytime we watch it. So I I give it a three and a half out of five. I think the acting is certainly great across board, and I I genuinely do. Uh, shall we say, engage with it from start to finish. But there are just certain times when some of these uh, subjective stories go a little too long. And even not just the stories themselves, but certain scenes when I feel like, like we mentioned some of the tracking shots earlier, they impressed me the first time around, and they still impress me the second time around, mm-hmm. but Eventually, there are certain ones when, uh, whether it's Mafune walking through the forest, where I'm like, you know what, this goes on for much longer than I remembered it going on for, and <laughs> mm-hmm. that's ultimately just shows my disconnect from the movie itself. But ultimately. I think it's entertaining, and if you haven't watched Rashomon, then you're doing yourself a disservice, because it's absolutely cinema 101 as to uh, no. as, as to no, no. what you should watch as to brush up on cinema history, but also because it is one of the few films in in uh, memory to actually deal with this kind of theme. So, three and a half out of five. Why don't I go second, since uh, I think Brian and Tucson, even though
3: they are the people who just saw this for the first mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. I think actually have uh, more strong opinions about this film than, than me, or even Nick do, so I'll I'll go right now and just say that um, I really do enjoy this film. I gave it the same rating as Nick does, which is three and a half out of five. Um, a, A big reason is A, Kurosawa's just incredible directing, especially... Uh, knowing from what era he's from, and and the fact that he is a a foreign film director, like in he he just does things that have completely influenced both American film and just film in general.
0: His entire filmography was so um, essential to the expansion of what we now call, or at least some people call, like world cinema, and just like expanding, like it, actually paying attention to something outside of our own borders as as north american like film goers so yeah
3: and he just does a fantastic job as a storyteller mm. um first and foremost not just even in this film but in, in both of the other films i've seen are just absolutely um a step above ever, anything anyone else is doing even in modern times in my opinion in terms of the, the way he's able to capture a story and tell a story in, in a certain way um, in, in addition to the actual just film, I've already mentioned it. I love Mifune; he's great. His character that he plays, who changes somewhat and has different personalities, but it's basically the same guy throughout the all these films. At least the ones that I've seen, is just so much fun, and it, it's so interesting to watch this guy who basically plays this character uh, in in different modes, and it's just. It's just that weird sort of ha-ha-ha kind of thing that he does that just – he feels like a real person who happens to be crazy and and plays just so
2: well in cinema. That is the great uh, casting choice even though he was certainly in a lot of Kurosawa films. But Mm -hmm. in this film specifically – Due to Mufune's uh, performance in general, that is one of the brilliant casting choices because I love how like pretty much everybody sees him as the same shithead as mm-hmm. he is, and like he's the only character that doesn't change as much as everybody well, else.
3: And um, I-, I think Seven Samurai is the one film where you could have had someone else playing a different kind of character in the role he plays. Yeah. Throat of Blood, he's absolutely perfectly casted again because you have this this person who is given this weird premonition about becoming the leader becomes a leader and then descends into madness and and it totally makes sense for him because he's, he's doing very similar kind of things and having his weird offbeat screaming throughout the film and laughter and faces. And I, I mentioned this to you, Nick, that, that I, I see a lot of comparisons with him at times and, and Jack Nicholson, even though they are much different performers mm-hmm. in terms of, of the way they use their face is, is, is something that, that really brings in that, that, that their facial expressions is, is what makes them great performers on screen. And, and Mafune is just, um, one of those people who every time I see that he's in a movie that I'm going to watch, like I'm, I'm watching it to watch him and, and he's fabulous here. And, and for the most part, Rashomon is a absolutely fantastic film. And I give it three and a half out of five. And if you haven't seen it, give it a chance. And if you say you hate it, please find us on the internet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let's move on to Brian. Yeah. I, uh, this movie checks so many boxes for me uh, just as a, a fan of film, as a teacher um, you know i will say that film tank this podcast you know knowing alex knowing kenny and now knowing you guys was one of the reasons why i wanted to start a podcast at my school you know so i i him. I mean, it was like for that it, it, watching a movie like this makes me want to even Extend the conversation for a film podcast at the school with students talking about this. And this would be the source material where we begin as the fountainhead of all the. Go back to Anne Ryan. Uh, uh... I, say. I, I think I know how to, to wind up everyone in this uh, podcast. I, I know enough about it. It'll be a four hour episode, uh, which will be reviewing a DC reboot of The Matrix, where Neo will be on the cross wearing a. Um, uh, are You Serious? t-shirts. So oh, I think, I'm pretty sure that will be film, That will be the Film Tank hell episode. It's got to be played by Jared Leto <laughs> yeah. too, right? Exactly. Oh, yeah. I quit. So, so, uh, do I know this podcast or what? So anyway. Fucking bullshit. Wow. So I see it through all those various different filters, you know, uh, and I really think that – um, I, I give it four and a half stars. Um, and I I think that this is um something that is, um, it's teachable. It, it, it there's a grammar and a structure and a theme that just coalesce in such a wonderful way for me. And this is my first uh, Kurosawa film uh, as well. Can't wait to gobble up some more. This is gonna be my next you know thing as the re- what remaining weeks I have in my summer is starting you know, going after these. Um, and, and so I, you know, this is you know now 24 hours since my the second viewing of this, so maybe the shine will come, you know, the, yeah. a little bit of the bloom might come off this rose in time. But um, I, uh, I, I, it was so like psyched as I was watching this, and I, I it was like one of those things. Like I texted Alex, Alex, I'm like, dude, if you don't have, if you have someone in the fourth <laughs> chair, I would love to be in on this because I am loving. It. I texted that. Like with maybe three quarters of the movie left because I was yeah. so into it already. So um, four and a half. Uh, I mean, maybe I'd go four point seven five. I mean, this is uh, like a oh, man chance. changing so, the scale. Yeah, I love exactly. it. <laughs> Let's go incremental.
0: Breaking yeah, so. it. <laughs> I mean, I I have to echo all of Brian's sentiments. Like this film is is fucking incredible. I I, I love it. I I I've given some thought to uh, Nick's central. Um, central criticism that he that nick you, you think that the, the the basically how much these 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 testimonies these four testimonies within the film they kind of like stratify that it really stretches plausibility as to how I'll just
2: say this really yeah. quickly which is that if these the the four testimonies that all forgive mm-hmm. make me less question the idea of objective versus subjective truth, and more question which of them have psychological disorders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> because they're just it's it's for me it's so different that I I, I can't wrestle. Oh, hold it, on a
1: second, you just opened up a whole new <laughs> thing. right. It, it's a whole. It, so it, you it, have the criminal. You have pride of the husband, and then you have just the the gender uh, yoke of the woman, of what she had to live through. All of those things would absolutely imprint on their ability to understand what right. was happening. To
0: and them. the woodcutter, who just apparently doesn't want to be a part of any mm-hmm. of this, um, I, I think it is, is most interesting for me that um, – of all four of those testimonies that the woodcutter himself has never actually seen in his um in in in, in his portrayal of of that actual story is like it's always about these three central yeah. characters like like where the hell is he what's what's his vantage point in that he is being like i think they 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 kind of like allude to it where it's kind of like an overhead shot, but it's just like where the hell is he on screen watching all of this actually play out and it's just like. I don't, I don't know how how to trust them. Then it's like because mm-hmm. I don't, I don't see him. Like where the fuck are you? Um, there, there's one quote in particular that I, 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 wasn't able to find a way to to work into this conversation, but I, I just love. It's from the actual commoner, the the struggler, um, who's talking to the priest, and he's just the the priest, just like I can't live like not believing that that human beings that men are capable of, of being good or whatever. And it's just like, you know, it's like, I, I heard once that even the demon living here in Rashomon fled in fear of the ferocity of man. And I think that's just so interesting, especially because we're talking about um, the supernatural. And it's like, if, when you think about a demon, you think about a, a creature that already has a predefined, like intrinsic quality. And it never acts in opposition to that quality. It's like, it's, like it, there, there's no like trying to – trying to plead amorality in, in the spectrum of good and evils. Like they're evil. They know they're evil and they relish in evil because they're able to take satisfaction of it. But they're more terrified of man because they are capable of inadvertently glorifying the thing that that poisons their soul and condemning the thing that they love most. And and it's not out of a a deliberate malice, but somehow because of the tragedy of misinterpretation, mm-hmm. um, and it, it's just it's it, it's the equivalent of 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 like it, it's the perceptual existential equivalent of a of a of a bull in a china shop that just has no idea what's going on and is just trying to trying to make its way for the exit. And it just doesn't fucking understand, <laughs> uh, and you'll get mowed over if you're not careful. Um, <laughs> I I I absolutely love this film, and I and I can't give it a a perfect score simply on my own like personal conviction to never give a perfect score like f- from a first watch. So I'm just going to give it a four and a half out of five. I'm and just going to give it a four. I'm just going to give five. it a four and a half out of <laughs> five. Um, I feel like with subsequent viewings, I'm just going to get more and more out of this film, and I,
3: honest to God, I, I love it from beginning to end. It, it's great. So. And there's something to be said about – and me and Nick have talked about this multiple times, especially – I think it started last summer when we and you watched Orange County again for the first <laughs> time. Orange County. Okay. Truly the, the contemporary – like, you, you R. say R. A. that.
2: Gary Marshall.
3: <laughs> in, you know, no, really, that go for, on. For sure. yeah, a but there, there, there's something to be said about a film that can tell its story and tell it well in a concise manner that doesn't leave you sitting there for three and a half hours. Yeah. It's so a ninety
2: and, less than ninety minute movie, I think. Yeah. I think, yeah.
3: And it, it's it's just it's almost like you are a better storyteller if you can tell your story in an hour and forty five or less. Well, and anyway. I mean, that's the thing and, about and, 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 Kurosawa
2: is that yeah. he made a Seven Samurai, which is three and a half hours, right. and yet he made Rashima. So that's, I think, just another example of how in control he is of his material. That
1: which is true. It's it's interesting though because you know now this is as a modern audience, this is where things start forking in the road. Which is that what we just experienced, we all genuinely like, yet. We are leaning towards things like Stranger Things or Bloodline, where we demand uh, a type of narrative that can't be settled within a two-hour framework, right? And and I, I think that's that's it's, a, it's a, it is what is it that is is it possible to make a film as satisfying now that wouldn't be crimped because of studio forces and all stuff. Whereas TV has so much leash to go and, and find the type of um, depth that we crave as an audience. How about we
3: talk about international films, specifically Bollywood films. A lot of those, you talk about audiences that are um, disappointed if the film is too short, where they're like, I feel like I've, what, what's going on here, Nick? <laughs>
2: yeah. I, I have a weird opinion about a about Bollywood film in
3: general,
4: okay.
2: which is that I love international cinema, okay. and yet Bollywood cinema is such for me, at least, and maybe this is racist, but <laughs> is so far removed from what cinema is. And okay, but, uh, but racist, in, in, in this so. specific
3: example, I'm not yeah. trying to talk about actual the actual film. Talk about the length of the film, where where there is a well, whole that's part of it. There there is a whole culture that feels that if they go to the theater and the film is shorter than three hours, they've been cheated.
2: Yeah. But that's because there's a specific... Uh, it, it, in a lot of ways... It, I don't know if I'll say that. oh oh <laughs> <laughs> But let's just say that uh, the Bollywood target audience go there, yes, with a checklist, and if it doesn't meet... And whether it's just a length or other thing, mm-hmm. if it doesn't meet that um, checklist, then it, it somehow failed. Whereas... S- cinema in general should not be that and should not it should adhere. not be forced into is those. the test
1: of that though is just that like they know that they're watching a Bollywood film. I mean, does a, a, your standard uh, is cinema goer in India, when they come across uh, Winter Soldier or Captain America: Civil War, I mean, they're not walking away from that saying if that was only this. Like, so they they no, it, it's specifically Bollywood baggage to yeah. to have that. It,
2: it's specifically definitely Bollywood as a genre, uh, so to speak. Uh, I, I'll just say this much, which is that I love musicals. I've even seen foreign musicals, uh, the the musicals of Jax me uh the french musical uh director are some of my favorite films of all time and yet it says a lot that i I've never made it through a bollywood movie
3: didn't you love that final scene of slum dog millionaire i mean come on
2: i mean that was a good scene like i can <laughs> no but like it's maybe that makes me an asshole but i can stand it for like a a music video length or whatever and i and it's not that i mind the the tunes or the music itself but i i
1: the actual genre. the
3: whole presentation is what, what... the genre of it't as, and, and,
1: and as, as a non indian I'm just trying to rationalize this because <laughs> I, I didn't mean to impugn your integrity so is that <laughs> wow uh, is that uh, you don't nor i we don't know what to look for right, right? And so like maybe I'm, I'm there's there. a, and there's there's something in there yeah. that we just can't
2: and that's do. why I say I may be a racist i I just personally can't do
3: it. Well, speaking of things that definitely are not Bollywood or or in, in that kind of ilk, and that would be Paul Greengrass films, uh, which are very much trying to drive Greengrass your... Greengrass sounds like a Native, Native American name. Greengrass? Yeah, like Chief Greengrass. I mean, that's the guy's name, so...
2: I know it's his... Okay,
3: you know what... Kim Anyways, Kim? Paul Greengrass makes films that try to get you... I don't know about your heart beating faster fast or anything like that, but they, they have scenes in them that try to have you on the edge of your seat. Whether it be the previous Bourne films or United 93 or Captain Phillips, he's got those big-time 15-minute scenes that are just like, holy fuck.
0: He's the captain now.
3: <laughs> have you guys ever seen United 93? No. We are going to do an episode on that someday. Okay. Just saying. <laughs> Just for the final 10 minutes that are absolutely just out of control. So, Jason Bourne is the film we're going to review next week. It's going to be an interesting review because this is a, a weird place where we have Matt Damon coming back to a series. We have Paul Greengrass making this film in 2016. Uh, we, we have some other returns, including Julia Stiles. And and we have a very interesting cast right here, I think. I mean, Tommy Lee Jones, Elisa Vikander, who's a a very, um, you know... At this moment, popular actress. She just won an Oscar. She was in Ex Machina. Uh, we even have Vincent Cassell showing up as the mm-hmm. evil British guy. Uh, I mean, th- this is going to be an interesting film as, as an action thriller. And, uh, and we're going to talk about it next week. And I don't know if it's going to be good. But all I know is that there is a scene with a bunch of cars crashing in the middle of Las Vegas Boulevard. And they actually filmed it. It's not CGI. So I am on board. I will be there. And I, I'm ready for it.
1: Yeah, it might be interesting. I was just listening to an interview uh, with um, uh, Alex Gibney who's done a lot of uh, documentary films and he just did one called um, Zero Days and it was all about hacking and the Stuxnet, you know, virus and all that stuff. So, you know, it, it would be interesting. I, I don't know if I can get it on Amazon, but like that documentary in the context of what Jason Bourne, the data and kind of the, the you know, even in the commercials, it's like all about like, we're in a post-Snowden age and all of this. Um, But it, it, I have to, after I see the movie and then have the thoughts afterwards, the inverse of that which is that maybe two weeks later there's a movie called War Dogs that has a different <laughs> type of and I don't think this is a film tank reviewable movie but what it suggests about the nature of American war I think will be a really interesting well, juxtaposition. The, the the amazing
3: part and I was explaining the plot line of War Dogs to a, a, a colleague of mine at mm-hmm. work uh, last week and he was in disbelief that I was. I, I, he's like this is actually like somewhat a based on a true story I'm like yeah he's like
2: Oh. Wait, what didn't he believe about it?
3: Well, just the, the the whole story about like I feel like when you you lay out the the plot line of what War Dogs <laughs> is it, it, to somebody who doesn't know I anything f- about it, and and you just say, oh, this is this film about these two guys who were the lowest bidders and and get got in on this, and then he's just like, what the fuck? Like, what is this movie? I mean, and, yeah, it's and that's 20- a real six- story. I mean, like, right? I, I but mean, that's what
2: that's I'm trying to say. Like, like it's 2016, it sounds- one of our major presidential nominees only got into the republican national convention because he again yeah no i just
3: said somebody who who participates in real life like my colleague does (laughs) when he hears something like like this in this film that comes up and he hears oh this is somewhat based on on a true story it sounds absolutely preposterous from an outsider perspective and that's coming from someone who's not big into movies and Doesn't see a lot of movies, but I was explaining to him last week. He was kind of thrown off by it, and yeah, no. But I'm I'm with you. Like it's, it's something.
1: Indeed, so it'll be interesting uh, contrast for sure.
3: But Jason Bourne coming up on 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 next week on our seventy fifth episode. Wow! Brian will be back yeah. two weeks yeah. in a row. Yeah. How about I'm that gonna, shit? Yeah. fucking I'm love gonna, it. Yes, indeed. indeed. Do you have any thoughts on, on on Jason Bourne or also on on Rashomon or on Brian in general?
2: You
3: can <laughs>
1: yeah, Send them indeed. on. Please, if you have thoughts sure. on Brian, <laughs> yeah. send them in. You know what? You. I'm going to send some
2: in right now. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I gotta tell you though, I think like uh, that might be an Amazon purchase is just the poster alone for my classroom. I just like I mean that that actually is just awesome. Yeah, so that's gonna happen. So so find us
3: at filmtankshow at gmail.com and you can find our episodes on filmtankshow.com or on iTunes or Stitcher. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram where we had a cascade of posts and now we've been silent again. But hopefully (laughs) we won't go We like to tease our listeners. I know. Well, okay. We went four and a half months between posts. Then we had four posts in four days and now it's been like two weeks. So we're going to get better. We promise. We have dedication somewhat. (laughs) We don't do it for the glory. (laughs) (laughs) That's for sure. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, thank you very much to, to everyone out there for listening to this episode of Film Tank. From Brian to Toussaint Egan, Nick Cheney, and myself, Alex Diegman, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Film Tank, and we will all catch up with you next time.